0: At Rebel News, we're not afraid to have dangerous discussions, and we want to have them with you at our upcoming Rebel Live events, first in Toronto, November 19th, and again in Calgary, Saturday, November 26th. Just go to rebelnewslive.com to get your tickets today.
1: Wow, I love that intro, and I love the work that Rebel News has been doing this past month at the Trucker Commission. Inquiry into the use of the Emergencies Act. I am Ezra Levand. I'm the rebel commander. That's a fancy way of saying I'm the president of the company. And I'm sitting in our world headquarters in Toronto, Canada, but the center of the action, the center of gravity for the company this past month has been in Ottawa in an Airbnb that we've rented for the duration of the inquiry, a month and a half, we found the closest Airbnb to the actual commission building. It's so close, it's a quick walk there. There's also four bedrooms there so we can put our Rebel News staff there. And we've been rotating through journalists covering the commission every single day, covering it on location, scrumming the witnesses and sometimes the lawyers as they come and go in sitting there. And of course, live tweeting the proceedings. And then every night at 6 p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. Mountain time, we chew it over. We talk about it, not just with the journalists, but with the experts, knowledgeable guests, including some of the lawyers, some of the witnesses, some of the truckers, I'm very proud of what we're doing, and by the way, we need your help. It's not cheap to set up this whole pop-up studio office. If you can help us out, go to truckercommission.com. The Airbnb alone for a month and a half is about 15 grand. I know that sounds like a lot of dough, but it's a large place, perfectly located, so I hope you'll help us out. I'm very proud of the work done by our journalists, and we've had a lot of different journalists rotate through. I was even there one day. Let me introduce to you some more teammates who are on location. I see on the screen now William Diaz Bertheon, who is one of the newest Rebels. He's actually based in Ottawa, and I would say that he has been leading our coverage in the city. So grateful to have him. And you can see on the screen now two Albertans who have been... Uh, deputized to go to Ottawa and <laughs> everything's on the ground, Celine Glass and Sidney Fizzard, who himself was embedded with the trucker boycott, uh, trucker convoy rather, at the Coots border crossing in February. So what a pleasure to have three of my favorite rebels. Thanks, guys and gal. Well, it's good, good to see question. you too, Celine and Sid. Nice to have you there. Mm-hmm. Well, William, you have uh, because you're based in Ottawa and you actually live in the downtown, you have been covering this literally every day. Uh, before we get into the substance of it, tell me a little bit about um, what it's like to cover it. What, I mean, the very first thing that, that comes to my mind, and I know this is sort of an inside baseball thing, is that Rebel News has been officially accredited by this commission of inquiry in fact if i'm not mistaken 13 of our journalists i might be wrong on that number have been accredited including myself and the commission has been very open members of the public can go in but in the, in a way members don't even have to go in because it's being live streamed in french in english the documents are being put up on the website simultaneously a couple days later, written transcripts. I have to say this is a very user-friendly, transparent commission of inquiry. I find that very comforting because I was worried that the whole thing would be a stitch-up. What do you think?
2: Well, I think, I think that I agree with you. I think we saw that it was indeed transparent. Uh, I think the commission is very fair people that had doubts at the beginning that the judge was a liberal shill or a liberal liberal party member or some sort, Um so he's able to be impartial. We see him being impartial to the Freedom Convoy lawyers, as well as to lawyers such as Paul Champ, so both on the total, total opposite side of the spectrum. Uh, he's very professional. He's able to remain non-biased, and I think that's some of the doubts that people had. Apart from that, the witnesses are great to hear. I think is extremely revealing, and the government of Canada officials and the government uh, the Liberal cabinet must be shaking their boots right now looking at the evidence as being shown Because we all see that the emergencies act was helpful, but not necessary That's what every single witness that is honest says helpful, but not necessary And I truly look forward to see the cabinet testify in the next two weeks.
1: Yeah, you know um to be very specific, this commission of inquiry is part of the Emergencies Act. It's a form of martial law that has actually never been used before. It's the successor legislation to the War Measures Act. And because it's such a grave undertaking to suspend civil liberties, mm-hmm. it has built within it a, a an accountability device that within a certain period of time, a judge must inquire as to whether or not it was necessary. And it's a very strict test, isn't it? Sort yeah, of a two-step. Yeah,
2: go, go ahead. No, no, it is. It is a very, a very strict step. And I was talking to Brendan Miller yesterday, and it's the, the whole commission is based on on, on a. On a book there's a framework of the commission it's very interesting i'm not quite sure what the title of the book is but it's based on a book written by a western lawyer uh, i believe from alberta so the, the whole way the commission is, is done is extremely professional and it's, it is extremely serious um but at the same time we're here because people had bouncy castles in the street we're yeah. here because people had fun in the streets. and on, on the opposite side you look at lawyers such as once again brandon miller who um is representing people who is fighting in court against or for people who are murderers, who committed serious crimes. So no, it's interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah, you mentioned Brendan Miller. He's one of the many lawyers with the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. They're doing a great job. The Democracy Fund, Alan Honor, the director of litigation there, he's also accredited as an intervener. So th- I think that goes to openness and transparency. Let me get back to what I was saying about what the purpose of the commission is. Um, it's not to relitigate the politics. It's not to say, are the truckers good or bad? Or even are, is the government good or bad? It's that, that wouldn't even be the role of a judge. The role is very mm. specific. It's to see whether or not uh, the necessary. convoy mm-hmm. met uh, the crisis, or whatever you want to call it, meets the definition of a of a national danger, a national emergency, uh, using language from the CSIS Act. Actually, was the country were people in in serious danger, or was the sovereignty of the country like was there a real revolution of? What? Those are really the two species of emergency. Was there a, a mass danger? or was there a danger to the country itself, like the government falling or being toppled? But then there's the second part, and was this danger something that could not be addressed by any other law? Exactly. So the first yeah. part is it has to be a grave danger, not just a bad feeling or a microaggression or a political nuisance or an annoyance or a honking horn. and and. It's clear that this hasn't met that standard. And then even if it does, even if this was a grave danger, even if they came armed with guns, God forbid, and they didn't, even if they came to storm the parliament, even if they came to kidnap politicians, and these are uh, extreme things I'm saying, but they did use some of these tactics in the FLQ crisis in Quebec some 52 years ago. The next part of the test is, okay, fine, so you have a grave danger could existing laws tackle it and every single cop who has been asked every single cop every attorney general every deputy attorney general every police chief every deputy police chief every one of them has said no we could have solved this in fact many of them did solve it the alberta border crossing solved before the emergencies act was declared the windsor bridge crossing at the ambassador bridge which actually was the only um convoy that had some economic impact because that's a very serious bridge solved before the emergencies act so both steps of the test have not been met and I do not think that this judge will be able to come to any conclusion William other than the emergencies act was falsely and improperly invoked but Trudeau doesn't give a damn he's above the law don't you know
2: no, oh, I, I fully agree. The judge, I don't see any way, well, the reason why we call him a judge is that he is a judge, but the real term for the commission is that he's a commissioner. He's Commissioner Rouleau, he who was a judge, um, who's, who is still a judge. But, yeah, I don't think there's any possible truthful way that he could come to the conclusion that it was necessary. Every single witness says so. He might be, he, he might be. I don't think he's going to be convinced by the Liberal cabinet who will try to convince him that it was actually necessary. Every single person, as you just mentioned, we hear say says the line, helpful, but not necessary. When we always say we repeat it. I know Celine often says that we repeat ourselves. But it's true because we keep hearing the same thing every single yeah. day. Every single day is the same story.
1: <laughs> well, William, I just want to say on a personal note, I'm very grateful to the work you've done <sighs> Uh, I like to joke that when you joined us, I didn't even know you were 17, and I'm, I don't. I hope you're not embarrassed by me mentioning that. I, you come across as so wise and mature for your years, and I know you just turned 18. What a pleasure to have you on the team. I think you've been a real star, and thank you for uh, your deep commitment to citizen journalism. I think you've done a hell of a job, so thank you. Let me bring in your Western colleagues who have been sitting there patiently. Celine Galass. Now, Celine. Thank you. You were one of the first rebels to deal with the trucker convoy. In fact, you were embedded with the main convoy as it left Calgary in January. So days before it even got to Ottawa, you and our chief videographer, Mocha Bazirgan, accompanied it. And we didn't know then what would become of it. We didn't know. Everyone just knew go to Ottawa. It wasn't quite clear what would happen or what the plan was. It was very organic. Tell us a little bit about what it was like in the convoy before it even got to Ottawa.
3: Yeah, it was It was an incredible time. I mean, it, it, there was just almost... <laughs> It was since uh, we were all in such disbelief, I believe, um, particularly when you would see, you know, the hours and hours that it took to drive. We drove usually within the convoy for 9 to 11, 12 hours sometimes, making sure that we could keep up with them because they wouldn't stop. Like, these people were definitely on a mission and um, the cold weather, the road conditions, nothing got in the way, but with all those things being said, what was incredible was seeing literally not even an over exaggeration, the thousands of people that lost the sides of the highway, sometimes even between like like major cities, there would still be people there supporting the truckers because you could fast track the route. Um, it was online. Uh, we, they always gave notice to where they would be staying or the cities that they would be staying overnight. So that was really incredible. And then once again, this was January, February. So January, just at the very end, right before the, the convoy landed in Ottawa, the road conditions were absolutely terrible they were scary um but with very very few um accidents or or anything like that all the truckers made it we made it very safely but it was all these things that kind of contributed to this journey that you didn't really expect to, you know, you just think like, oh, this is so incredible, the tensions are really high, and all of a sudden you find yourself embedded in this convoy in a slow roll for nine to twelve hours every single day. So we got to stop off in some areas and interview these truckers and and talk to them about, you know, not just what the government thought or what they thought about the government declaring them as a small fringe minority or misogynist or, or domestic terrorists, but we also got to hear their stories we got to hear why they would decide to go on this crazy long trip some truckers again coming all the way from the coast of uh, British Columbia to Ottawa and so that was really interesting to be able to connect with them so deeply and then be able to to show that to to viewers Um, because it was in fact not a small fringe minority and uh, you can see that when we when we will I suspect go more in depth about some of the findings that we've had in the the commission um The OPS was very, very, very uh, overwhelmed by the amount of truckers that came and parked themselves in Ottawa. Um, And it's because they were following mainstream media and that was admitted, so they were following fake news. That's yeah.
1: a great point. Uh, Celine, um I, I just want to remind our viewers what we're doing. <clears throat> this live stream, we have a live stream typically every day at 6 p.m. Eastern. Today the commission is off. Uh, I, I think the Remembrance Day um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, memorial is the reason for that. So it's sort of a half way almost not quite exactly halfway through the Commission and besides just recapping things we've got about a dozen video clips from the Commission and we're gonna play those in a moment but we're just setting the scene a little bit reminding folks what why we are in Ottawa where you are it looks like you're in the kitchen you are in a kitchen that's we made a kitchen studio in the airbnb which is fun which is fun and it's in it's really close to like it's in the middle of the action of ottawa i (laughs) i enjoyed my my brief day there and i'll have to go back um before i go on to sydney i just want to mention what you described there traveling up to 11 maybe even more hours a day talking to people getting to know them the feeling of camaraderie seeing the different that's actually journalism that's getting to know a subject getting to know a story pointing your camera at things and showing it asking basic who what where why when questions showing some curiosity that's that's really journalism and yet as far as I know not a single mainstream media journalist was embedded traveled along with the truckers anywhere like other than rebel news I don't think there was a journalist who embedded themselves and, and we knew in our bones very early that this would be a big thing and it's just incredible to me the lack of curiosity by the rest. I mean aren't you curious this is a spontaneous, or 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 is it not spontaneous? Is it as the CBC said, organized by Vladimir Putin? Well, why don't you send someone down and see if there's Russian messages? You know, I mean, like if you if you're skeptical, I mean, send a skeptical yeah. reporter, send someone instead mm-hmm. of just taking your talking points from the P.M.O. So what you described, you, I mean, and yeah. The coldest part of the story. I went down to the convoy in Auto. It was bloody cold. Now I wasn't dressed properly. I'm an idiot, but it was so cold. That's part of the story too. To have thousands of people in (laughs) minus twenty degree weather—that's dedication. That's not some professional political, you know, uh, rent-a-mob that shows up only if they're paid or something like the left often has. These were people who have likely never protested in their life before. Truckers are too busy working to protest. Mm -hmm. And it was such a phenomenon, and the sheer lack of curiosity and interest by the media party is stunning. And while, of course, this commission of inquiry is showing that the police and the politicians had no basis for their brutality, it's also an indictment of the media party, because time and again, we have heard witnesses say, that all the scandal all the rumors were being whipped up by the mainstream media rumors of violence rumors of assault yet not a single witness either a layperson, a citizen or a cop has said yeah i saw violence that's right in fact what we have a clip a little bit later of steve bell in fact why don't we do it right now let's go to um uh clip number five this is steve bell perhaps the worst cop in the country now i know brenda lucky uh, the RCMP commissioner, by some measures, is the worst cop in the country. But in terms of sheer odious malice, in terms of abuse and threats, in, in terms of violating his oath, I believe that Steve Bell, who was just replaced as the chief of police in Ottawa, I think he's the worst cop I have ever seen uh, at that rank. Here's clip five where he was forced to admit There actually was no violence and so this, I'm gonna call him a dirty cop because I I think that applies here, not in the terms of corruption like taking a bribe, but doing political errands while wearing a badge. Take off the goddamn badge, you liberal hack, if you want to be a liberal hack. You put that badge on, you're a cop with an oath. Look at this dirty cop running errands for Trudeau. Take a look at clip number five.
4: In your evidence in chief, you kept using the word violence regarding protesters, right? Yes, all right. and you've heard the evidence of Superintendent Morris already you sort of touched on that and he had stated that the lack of violence in Ottawa uh, during the protest was actually shocking. So I don't, I don't recall that statement. All right. So is it fair to say that when you use the phrase violence, you're not actually describing any form of physical assaults, are you? I'm, I'm well, physical assaults do, contribute to what I'm describing. I was specifically describing the violence that our community felt as a result of the culmination of actions that the occupiers engaged in. So the violence that they felt, not actual violence, is that what you're saying? That is correct. Not, not the criminal code definition of violence, but the violence yeah. that they felt by having an incessant horn splared, right. by not- having trucks run 24-7 a day, right. by having people intimidate them and follow them, and by having people rip masks off their head, by feeling sheltered in their homes Well, I, I, I couldn't th- leave. Thank you. I understand what you mean. But you're not talking about violence under Section 2 of the CSIS Act, are you? No, I'm not. Thanks.
1: What a disgrace that dirty cop is. And you know what? By the way, there was even a lie embedded in his answer. People ripping masks off faces. That was inquired in detail by the commission. That was a wicked lie. That, that wicked, dirty cop should be drummed out of the force. If they were justice, he himself should be put on trial. Instead, he'll probably be given some plum patronage position for running errands. By the way, I am advised... That we have a special guest on standby. I'm going to go to Sidney Fazard next, but then we're going to talk with a trucker who was part of the convoy at the Coots border blockade between Coots and uh, between the border of Alberta and Montana, who was holed up there with Sidney Fazard and who is actually being charged and is being prosecuted. And Rebel News is crowdfunding his legal defense. I'm talking about Marco Van Huygenboss, and he'll be with us in just a moment. But before we go to Marco, we're going to talk to Sydney Fazard. Sydney, thank you for waiting so patiently. I remember when you and Kian Simone were in our Calgary office, and we heard that the truckers were mustering at the, at the other border crossing. There's a bunch of border crossings in Canada, this one in Coots, Alberta. And in my bones, I knew that was going to be interesting. And I said, hey, guys, go down there. And I don't think you guys even packed a second change of clothes. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. And you wound up being down there for the duration. Tell us a little bit about what it was like. Again, just physically, you hop in your car. I don't think you'd ever been to Coots, Alberta before. You're, you're, I think you're originally from Ontario. You're, you're in our Calgary office. You're doing Calgary journalism. And you go to this tiny town, population 245. Like, it's, it's not even a town. I don't even know if it's a village or if it's incorporated. You go down to, to Coots, Alberta. What was it like? What did you see? And what did you think when you came upon all those trucks?
5: It was uh, it was an incredible experience. And you mentioned I haven't been to Coots before. Well, I, uh, to be fair, not many people have uh, been to Coots. It's a, a very small, very, very small town, village. It's a, a small border uh, on one side, it's coots, and on the other side, it's Sweetgrass. And these communities are very laced in with each other. Uh, so immediately, there's kind of an understanding that uh, a lot of the grievances that would be expressed by the COVID mandates and restrictions that were put on place, uh, especially uh, on the border with the uh, Americans, uh, there was a lot of issues stemming from that. And as we found out, you know, many of the... Uh, the people, the residents of Coutts were also in strong support of what was coming their way, which uh, was at first a slow roll, a slow roll convoy that was in support of the Freedom Convoy that was approaching Ottawa, uh, and there was there were thousands of people, quite literally, uh, and and over the duration, it would not surprise me if tens and tens of thousands of people had arrived and made their way through at certain points. And what ended up happening was, I believe, uh, roughly on January 29th, is the slow roll. It, it was so congested, there was so much traffic and everything like that, and there's a lot of people who were kind of like, well, you know, we're kind of already stopped. What's to stop this from turning into a blockade or being a blockade, I guess you could say. Um, And from that, the COOTS the blockade as it's now known arose and we see uh, some of the footage here this is the smuggler's, on, pardon me, the smuggler's saloon on screen that we're looking at this is the the little shack that was right beside the highway where all of these demonstrators they kind of that, that, that was the collection point that was the area that was where the the, the bathrooms were that was where the food was coming from uh, because you know with that many people there, there had to be uh, some kind of organization so that everyone was fed and taken care of and that's exactly what we did and we see this individual Actually on screen, Kian filmed this. uh, Kian Simone, who's here as well, Uh, these two individuals were temporarily stuck uh, behind the blockade, and the truckers went out uh, to talk to them, be like, "Look, we don't mean to inconvenience you. Um, Apparently, you were let through the border, even though we told the border that the blockade was here." uh, And they they offered them food, help, anything they needed. And what did they do? They went in, they got some food. They believe they got some coffees or some other stuff. They actually signed the Canadian flag that was in there, Um, and and that just shows you the support for the. This movement was quite all over. Um, and, and even within the province of Alberta, there was decentralized blockade action uh, happening across the province in conjunction with the Koots blockade and consequently in conjunction with the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa. It, 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 it was the Koots blockade, but it was quite literally the province acting up.
1: You know, uh, the reason the size of Coots is relevant, 245 people, I don't even know if it's an incorporated entity. I think it's just a place. Um, and that saloon is like the hub of it. And the population of the, of the location doubled <laughs> or more during the, the convoy. Now, you'll, you'll notice there's all, uh, on the screen now, there's farm vehicles. Those are big tractors or other farm equipment. Yes, there are trucks, of course. But a lot of those ve- – and those are very, very large farming – that's a tractor on the left, I don't quite, I didn't know there were some construction-style vehicles. I, I don't know the terminology. I, I see, anyway, just incredibly large vehicles. Oh, <laughs> look at that. Someone who, who was giving a shout-out to Rebel News. That's great. That's a combine, <laughs> I think. Um, when, when you have a convoy in a city like Windsor, Ontario, which is a large city, or a city like Ottawa, again, a large city, you have a large urban police force, With specialists, like the SWAT teams, probably helicopters. And you can call on other backup from other police forces nearby. When I was in Ottawa, there were police from all over Ontario who had been sent there. Coots, Alberta, is a different story. I don't even, other than maybe a border cop, I don't even know if there would be a policeman stationed in the town. I think they're probably up at Milk River an hour away. So if you have 100 trucks and farm equipment vehicles blocking like you you just can't move them away like maybe you could in Toronto, Ottawa, Windsor, whatever, a big city. And you know, if you want to have some sort of physical showdown, there's just just numerically you're outgunned. So this was a very different vibe than Ottawa with its riot horses stomping on people, hundreds and hundreds of cops smacking billy clubs This was the opposite. This was hundreds of grassroots citizens and a handful of cops who had no clue what to do and no ability to do it. Don't you think, Sid?
5: So oh, absolutely, and I, I can't understate uh, the effect of the Milk River uh, demonstrations that were taking place as well, uh, because, you know, there's the, uh, as Kenny said, you know, 170 or whatever trucks on the road, you see who's minimizing it. But realistically, there was there a, a separate police barrier that was set up in Milk River, and this Milk River demonstration uh, began to ensue, because there's thousands of people that were trying to get the Coots to join the blockade Mm. who were being prevented by the RCMP. Ah. And uh, it it is my understanding, I believe, that the RCMP would have been the authority of jurisdiction uh, because, you know, small-town Alberta, there is no uh, city police force, especially in Coots, right? Mm. Um, So a lot of the burden does fall on their shoulders in this situation as well.
1: Isn't that interesting? You know, just like in Ottawa, the, the roads were blocked by the police. As much as by the truckers. When I was in Ottawa, it was the police that were locking down every intersection. To this day, many roads in Ottawa are closed by the police. I find it very bizarre. Same thing in Alberta. It was the police who blocked off access to the border. Well, listen, it is uh, the bottom of the hour. We've been chatting for half an hour. It's a bit of a catch-up for me. We do have a lot more video clips, but without further delay, I want to go to the man of the hour, Marco Van Heigenbos he's a town counselor from fort mcleod alberta not too far away from coots fort mcleod is near lethbridge which is a larger city in southern alberta he's a town counselor i had the pleasure of meeting him last weekend in lethbridge when he briefly appeared in court with two other truckers who are being prosecuted for inciting mischief i think that's the species of crime Now, mischief is the kind of charge that is often given out for vandalism or spray painting something. It's the kind of thing normally you get a slap on the wrist and the judge says, I don't want to see you back in this court again. Fly straight, youngster. But no, no, the crown is proceeding by what they call indictment. I understand that the government wants 10 years in prison for Marco, Alex, and George, his other two truckers, completely nonviolent. I say again, Marco himself... He's a town counselor. He's an upstanding citizen, a leader of his community, and he's actually in Ottawa because he was testifying before the commission. Do we have Marco in the studio? Yes, we do. It's you know, we're going to have a quick ad now. break. Oh, no, there he is. No need for an ad break. Marco, how you doing? Nice to see you.
6: Good to see you, Ezra. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, it's a pleasure, and thanks for waiting patiently. I understand you've been there, and welcome to our little pop-up studio in Ottawa in our Airbnb. Now, uh, you, last I saw you were in Lethbridge and you were one of the three defendants. Um, and I know you have to be careful about what you say publicly because, of course, the prosecution will be watching this and they'll want to scrutinize any word and use it to hang you. So I'm not going to ask you anything about the case. But maybe you can tell me without referring to anything that would touch on your trial. I want to be careful for you. Why were you there? Why were hundreds or maybe even thousands of men and women from all across Southern Alberta and other places, streaming in, why did they feel it was important to peacefully protest that day in February?
6: We were there to stand up to a government gone rogue. Um, th- during the eighteen months at that time of COVID, we had seen uh, our, uh, our our local. Municipalities, our, our boards, all of the powers that are given us through our Westminster parliamentary democracy, democracy, essentially put in a put in a box and put on a top shelf. And Kenny, with his pick committee, and the authorities given to AHS through their emergency measures, were running the province. And the inability to communicate with our elected officials drove us to a place that essentially drove us to Coots. Um that was that was where we, we we made the stand to to demand accountability from our representatives
1: and the mayor of Coots and again mayor is a big word for a place of two I was a student council rep in the you know in school and I had more constituents than the mayor of Coots does, but he is the mayor. Um Tell me what, how the local town reacted like like everyone knew people who were on the line and there may have been disagreements about it but these were not strangers these were friends and neighbors and family in many cases weren't they
7: Correct
6: correct um, I'm not from from the Coots area from Warner County but a lot of the a lot of the individuals a lot of the residents of Milk River and Coots supported this uh, the mayor himself testified that it was probably a 70-30 split and it comes back to you know 70 30 split 30 percent of the people might not have agreed with certain tactics that were being used but to say they they didn't support us I, I would disagree with that I believe all of Alberta supported us um, but being an organic event there was there's things that happened that we we, we that were out of our uh, out of our control we we responded to it right it's essentially uh we we built the plane as we were flying it i've heard that comment a few times this week but um uh to say you know 70 thirty i think that's a pretty accurate description and it um but to you know back to that thirty percent i i never really interacted with that thirty percent so i can't Attest to that, but um, the support was there from the communities surrounding that, uh, th- surrounding Coots and 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 the county.
1: Yeah, we're looking on screen of different imagery. That's our friend Kian Simoni, who along with Sydney Fazard was down there for the bulk of it. Very interesting to be embedded with the truckers. They were right there in the saloon. They watched the negotiations. Tell me about the the role of. I, I remember getting a phone call from Sid and Kean about how it was going. And there was a worry that the RCMP negotiators were not negotiating in good faith, that they were misleading, that they were sort of silver-tongued devils and, and, and tricking folks. And I thought, boy, there's a chance that's gonna go wrong. So we mustered some crowdfunding money and we sent down a lawyer, Chad Williamson, who I think was a perfect fit for this project. And Chad is representing you and the other two truckers. There's Chad right there. But he he's representing you in court now. But back then, he was sort of a go-between, just to make sure that everyone knew their rights and to, to liaise with the cops so that they had someone. I'm, I, I'm not saying that the truckers were unsophisticated. I'm just saying that they aren't used to hard-bitten negotiation with, with tough hombres on the other side. That's what a lawyer does every day. A litigating lawyer fights against another side all the time every day. That's how they're mentally trained whereas a trucker is a friend to all he's not getting into fights so you put a bunch of truckers in a the room then you send in these silver tongued devils from the RCMP that's not actually level playing field you add Chad Williams into the game okay now it's a level playing field that's at least how I think of it but I wasn't there how was it did Chad fulfill that kind of a role when he was there as a liaison
6: Absolutely, uh, Chad, with his uh, colleague uh, Martin, uh, they they came down and they, you know, in in layman's terms, explained what we were up against and what could happen and if it happened, what we how we had to respond. You know, um, you have a right to 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 a lawyer. I, I remember the exact uh, terminology. I think it was something like yes, yes, no, or, um, but it was in the event of of arrests and. We we felt that that would be what it came to. Um, we weren't going to resist. We weren't going to fight back. But we were going to stand our ground. And we also knew that eventually, systematically, the uh, the government would have to remove us. We were aware of that. We made that decision. And that's that's that that decision. When we when when you have truckers and farmers and families who come down there, knowing they could. Uh, go into the world of legal prosecution, something they're not aware of, something they're not familiar with, but showed up anyways and, and stood their ground that, that, that's, that was powerful.
1: You know, it was amazing. I was just, we were showing on the screen there, men and women, truckers, farmers, I think they were singing, Oh Canada. One fella had his hat off over his heart. We also saw about 20 cops, you know, and again, so those are the truckers there. I think this was sort of the showdown day where a bunch of truckers came and were basically saying, You gotta get out now. But you can just see what I mentioned earlier, Ottawa, Windsor, those are big cities with big police forces. You could get three, four, five hundred cops, a SWAT team, riot horses, helicopter dispatched in a in a matter of hours in those cities. But in Coots, Alberta, the best the cops could muster was twenty folks and the exuberance and the sheer numbers and the And the flat open spaces those cops as were, were were showing it on camera now they turned and walked away like they they thought they could get the truckers to blink the truckers didn't blink the cops blinked. I thought that was a fascinating moment
6: that was an extremely powerful moment that was um the the Tuesday of the first week. I remember that clear as day I remember their first attempt um, and this is this uh this syncs with that um uh, uh, the farmers and the, the truckers breaking the very preliminary Milk River blockade at that time. They they blew through there. You might have seen videos of that previously, but they had made the attempt and had essentially told a few truckers because we were we we didn't have a barricade. We didn't have a barrier. We just had trucks on the highway facing east and west. So we had no real way to to stand our ground in 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 a in a way that the RCMP would have to have to essentially come come to a. Uh, standoff with us and they had convinced a few truckers to leave by just essentially saying, you know, you're you're leaving or you're getting arrested. So that's a pretty obvious decision. But out of the, you know, it was a pretty, uh, the the weather was pretty crappy. Out of the, out of the blue, I would say blue, but out of the white came these truckers and these, these farmers who had seen on the social media platforms that the RCMP was enforcing in coots and they could not Watch that happen to their to their friends, to their families, to to their fellow Albertans. So they broke through that barrier, and the timing of that was was just phenomenal. It wasn't planned, but the timing. And when they showed up, we ended up taking that equipment and forming a a fence to fence metal barrier with equipment, trucks, and trailers, and farm implements. I remember this one tractor coming in with a big double disc and it just parked on the highway and it folded its wings down and there it was. And hmm. it, it the, the RCMP had essentially retreated when those trucks and tractors rolled in and they made one more attempt and that's when the the, the, the protesters came out of the saloon and came from their, their trucks, et cetera, because it was minus 30 and with wind chill and we formed a line and we stood in front of... The, the that barricade and we sang O Canada," and I remember, um, you know, clearly indicating, you know, we maintain our distance. We did. We wanted a no contact. Um, that was our goal, and we were successful with that. The numbers and 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 the the force that was presented with with the met with with equipment and and the people on on that highway. Um, turned the enforcement effort into a failure, and the RCMP took an approach that led to more of a, uh, that essentially led to negotiations um, going forward.
1: Now, we're gathered here today because we're talking about the Trucker Commissioner Inquiry and whether or not the use of the Emergencies Act was legally, morally, constitutionally, politically justified. It's pretty clear that the answer to that is no. And, And the way I know that is that your blockade, which was by far the most effective in the country, was resolved before the emergencies act was deployed it was Correct. resolved tell me a little bit about your testimony uh, before the trucker commission this week
6: yeah so that's uh, I, I got to um, a couple months ago and uh, obviously leading up to it um not sure um uh, you know what what how it would transpire so i i, I watched a lot of it from alberta and this is not something that has ever happened essentially the the emergencies act has never been enacted so the inquiry has never been necessary um so becoming familiar with the proceedings etc i remember showing up a couple of days early and just getting my feel of the room but going in um prepared i sat down with um with uh, martin my legal counsel uh who was um Uh, who who was sponsored by TDF. And uh, my criminal lawyer, Niv, who, who works um, with Chad uh, from Williamson Law, we did a lot of pre- uh, preliminary prep, and I came in and um, I was able to articulate well and speak to what, you know, There I was subpoenaed, but there was also a willingness on my part to, to get in front of the commission, to get in front of the country, and to, to, to share the truth of, of what happened in Kootz. Um, the, the truth of what happened has never been fully shared, and, and a lot of the truth cannot be shared yet as there's legal prosecution hmm. but the the narrative in in the mainstream media has changed from an, an event a peaceful event where there were unfortunately uh a, a situations outside of the main blockade that that cast a, a bad light on us but it was separate but over the last 10 months that separation has been has diminished and now all of coots you know it essentially goes back to uh, the, the way the media paints this now is that every trucker was on that highway holding a gun and that's ridiculous. So that was part of my my goal was to come to the commission and to share the truth of that and to also share that um, it was not necessary we, who, who you know we're in Alberta we're in Coots like no disrespect to to the, to, the, to the people in this great city but who, who's Ottawa to us? Mm-hmm. You know, Ottawa is this this faraway place for us, and and we understand the role of Ottawa. But the emergencies Act, I might have heard about it, but that was not something that, mm-hmm. that 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 made me shake in my boots that we we, we, we had gone there with uh, with with the goal to, to to communicate with our or to demand accountability of our provincial government, but when things turned to the situation on hand, we were prepared we were prepared to to make that stand so there was nothing in the emergencies act that was going to change that situation so in in leaving our decision and the timing of it uh, which is public has nothing to do with with the invocation of the emergencies act and that had to be shared um, from my part and unfortunately Uh, and this is probably, you probably lead to this in your questioning, but unfortunately the government of Alberta in their cross-examination of me and even the testimony of the deputy justice minister um, a day or two later was very vague in this. It was, you know, if their goal as the province of Alberta, which they also believe that the emergencies act was not necessary, and that's why they requested standing at the commission, but i'm I'm surprised as to how they represented. You know the 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 government of Alberta, their count, the Council, essentially put me on the stand. It was a prosecution of Marco van Yougoboss in Ottawa. and well, that's that,
1: a, that's obviously a holdover from Jason Kenney's regime. The new premier of Alberta Danielle Smith is more sympathetic to freedom and more critical of lockdownism. But obviously uh, she's only been in the office for a few weeks. And you have all these, in fact, your prosecution, the prosecution of you and George and Marco, sorry, you're Marco, excuse me, and Alex, um, the prosecution of you three peaceful protesters was started under Kenny in his last month as Premier. Correct. And now it's like a zombie that's operating under its own uh, energy. And I think the Premier has to call it off. And I think it's absurd the demand for 10 years in prison. I think your lawyer is right when he said last weekend at the at the rally outside the courthouse that there's no jury in Lethbridge that would convict. Like if 70, 70% of the people of Coots were in support and their town was being blockaded, but still 70% of them supported it, you're not going to find a jury to convict in Lethbridge. This is pure vendetta. But you know what, Marco, and, and I appreciate your time today. We got your back, and when I mean that, I don't just mean we have your back morally and journalistically, but we're, as you know, we're crowdfunding the legal offense. You mentioned the lawyers, Chad Williamson. He's got a couple of colleagues. You all have, Neve is one of them. We even put up a billboard, put up a, uh, some digital billboards around uh, Lethbridge. I saw one of them with my own eyes. And the website we set up is dot truckerdefensefund.com. truckerdefensefund.com. Because I think one of the those are the three men there. There's Marco. You're, that's you on the right, and then that's George in the middle, and then that's Alex on the left. I had the pleasure of meeting all three of you at the courthouse last weekend for the for the first time, and I was very glad I came down there. There's me early in the morning. My face is blue because there's a police light flashing. I got there very early, and police <laughs> in Lethbridge. There were police with their flashers on every single street corner. Um, I don't know what they were expecting, if they were expecting Lethbridge to be locked down by the convoys. I don't know. But um, this is all about intimidating you, overwhelming you, stressing you out, bankrupting you, taking up all your time and money. <clears throat> and we can help with some of that, namely the money side. And so we have committed. And this is I made this commitment to the truckers when you were in the saloon. I remember that our reporters were in the saloon with you. And they called me, and I was at home. It was dinner time. It was after dinner in Toronto. That's where I live. And I got the call from the lads. And he put me on speakerphone, and we chatted back and forth. And I said, fellas, we'll crowdfund a lawyer to help. And if any of you get charged, we'll crowdfund the lawyer to defend. And that has come to pass. And so I went down there to Lethbridge to see you guys. Look you in the eye and say, we're going to help you. Now, I myself... I'm not independently wealthy, but if we have enough ordinary people chipping in 10 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, we can pay for a whole trial. It's going to be an expensive trial. Yeah, you can see the, the, that's, that's me speaking uh, with my face reflecting the flashers. It was crazy. Like every street corner in downtown Lethbridge had a police car with flashers on. You can see I was standing right. Like it, They're still crazy. The cops down there are still mad. At the courthouse, they had 20 cops. I said to one of them, is there some trial of a drug kingpin? Is El Chapo inside or something? And I made a joke to one of them. All you need is a police helicopter. He said, yeah, I wish we had one. Yeah, brother, I think, uh, I think you're going after the wrong bad guys here. So, folks, if you can help out at TruckerDefenseFund.com. Rebel News is paying for Chad Williamson and the rest of his firm to defend Marco, George, and Alex. Listen, you'd be generous with your time. It's nice to see you. I'm glad you're in the nation's capital. I'm glad you had a chance to put your side of the story on the record. I'm disappointed but not surprised that the Alberta government thought they'd try and put you on trial. That's the same government that um, imploded on itself because of, of its abuse of lockdowns i mean it's quite something that jason kenney once the leading politician on the right in canada didn't even finish his term and it's because of this abusiveness uh, i'll give you the last word marco uh, before you head back west um are you are you hopeful uh do you do you think the trucker commissioner inquiry will will do a good job um are you you just give me your reflections. As you said, this is a whole new thing for you. You've never been subpoenaed before. You've never, you know, participated in a hearing like this before. You've never been charged with a crime like this before. Well, give me your thoughts.
6: Well, we're definitely hopeful. Uh, we we always have to remain hopeful. Otherwise, what 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 is the fight for? But um, as to any real consequences, um, I'm I'm. Uh, I'm concerned we're not going to see a lot. We may see some some minister take the fall, but to see anything actually change, I, I don't I don't believe that will happen, and that's very unfortunate because the the goals of Coutts, Emerson, Sarnia, Windsor, um, it 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 at Ottawa specifically, it was a demand for accountability. You know. The, the, our representatives have forgotten who they represent. And like I keep on saying, if, if for, for trust to be rebuilt, we need to see accountability. Mm-hmm. And this is just one part of that process.
1: Well, stay there for one more second. I want to play clip number two, which is Trudeau when he was asked, would he resign if there was no justification for his invocation of the Emergencies Act? And here's how that exchange went. Take a look.
4: Query that starts today, 65 witnesses over 30 days. You know, when it's all wrapped up and the commissioner, if he finds that uh, the... Um there was no justification for the federal government to invoke the Emergencies Act. Should there be consequences
5: for the federal government, including
8: your resignation? But we knew from the very beginning uh, that invoking the Emergencies Act is a big step. It had never been done before, but given these unprecedented illegal protests, uh, we needed to take action. We took it in a way that was measured, that was responsible, that was time-limited, and we knew full well that there needed to be a public inquiry. Canadians need that level of transparency and accountability. Uh, and that's why uh, we launched this inquiry. That's why I'm so happy to be that I offered from the beginning uh, to be part of uh, part of appearing at this commission. Uh, and we're going to make sure that Canadians see uh, the situation we were facing and how the tools we used were appropriate. found that there was no justification for it. Again, what what should the consequences be for that? I think the important thing is for Canadians to understand uh, the the situation we were in and the choices we make. We didn't enter uh, into using the Emergencies Act lightly. We used it uh, with a sense of uh, it was the necessary tool at the time. Uh, we used it in a way that was measured and proportionate uh, and we're really pleased that the Commission is going to be able to hear from all these witnesses and that was why I offered to appear.
1: What an odious tyrant. Of course he's not going to resign if and when the Commission finds it was unjustified. Here's a man who's been convicted on the Conflict of Interest Act uh, more times than any other Prime Minister in history combined. Of course, he doesn't resign he laughs at it here's a man where mere hours after the federal court ruled that he must accredit rebel news journalists to the debate uh, commission and when we ask him questions he says i don't have to well actually the judge just said you do and you're violating our charter rights for not he's a petty man who's a son of privilege who doesn't believe the law applies to him of course he will not resign if and when he's found to have abusively used this law and of course the media party will let him get away with it even in his answer there he used the phrase illegal protest that's not a thing in Canada if you're if you're engaged in a riot that's illegal but protests by definition are not illegal nonviolent protests are not illegal he's a wicked liar Uh, And of course he'll skate as he always does. Marco last word to you I I, I know I said that before but I just wanted to play that Trudeau clip I'll I'll say a last word to you and then we'll throw to a commercial and we do have other guests on standby It's almost the top of the hour and I've gone a little slowly here We've got a lot of clips. My colleague Lincoln Jay is going to take over for me in the chair here But Marco it's a pleasure to talk to you Um, What message will you bring back to Fort McLeod and Lethbridge and and if you return to coots from your journey to Ottawa are you Do you think justice will be done? Let me ask you that do you think? Canada is still the Canada you thought it was and grew up in
6: it, It's not the Canada that we grew up in um, it, That that's 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 a tough question um, Do I yeah? There, is, there is hope. I believe that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. I believe that's why we stood up. But we have no choice. This is there is no last frontier somewhere else. This, this is it. And and specifically Alberta, we look at that. You know, it's 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 still it, it's Alberta, and and there's a remnant there that that speaks to generations past. And we have to fight. We have to protect that. And ultimately, I, I my my goal to come down to the commission was to to share a truth and to to fight that. Um, It was a a uh, fact-gathering journey. And I just hope that Tyler Shandro and his ministry do what they plan to do and hold Trudeau accountable instead of fighting Albertans um, like they have for the last two and a half years.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Marco Van Heugenbos, nice to see you again. Uh, Thanks for appearing on the show uh, for such an extended period. I'm going to say goodbye to you now, and we're going to roll some short ads and when we return in my place will be my colleague lincoln J, and we'll go back to you in the studio there our colleagues celine and sid and we'll continue our special broadcast at about the halfway point in the trucker commission of inquiry so it's a pleasure sitting with you this past Thanks, hour Cesar. marco thank you very much we'll say <laughs> goodbye to you and stay with us because there's more ahead after these messages
0: Hey guys have you checked out our Rebel News store lately? You really should because we're always adding fun things into the store. As the news changes I guess so does the merchandise. We've got something for everybody. We've got a great selection of pro trucker merchandise like this excellent honk honk shirt right here that will surely drive all your liberal friends and relatives absolutely crazy although I don't think the trip is all that far but right now In the store, this is my very favorite t-shirt, and I know t-shirts. Free Tamara in support of convoy leader Tamara Leach as she is treated like a common terrorist by Justin Trudeau's government for her role in the peaceful week's long street party against COVID mandates in Ottawa. I've got great news though, if you can't decide which shirt is your favorite because right now at rebelnewsstore.com you can use the coupon code FALL, F-A-L-L, and buy two t-shirts and get 25% off. And as always, shipping is free. So head on over to rebelnewsstore.com, pick your two favorite t-shirts and save 25%. Thanks, and remember, free Tamara.
9: Freedom in the year 2022, for me folks, it means the return of rebel live now rebel live is an annual event we used to put on before the man or was it the COVID karen made us shut it down during the pandemic years it is a freedom fun fest if you will all the freedom fighters you've grown to know and love over the years they're going to be speaking at the toronto and calgary events the toronto event is on november 19th that's a saturday and it will feature the likes of dr julie panessi Archer Pulvowski, Tamara Leach, and all your favorite rebels, including yours truly. I'll be the MC that day. Sheila Gunn and of course the big boss man himself, Ezra Levant. Now Saturday, November the 26th, we're bringing Rebel Live to Calgary, and uh, those aforementioned speakers will be there, and Sheila will be the MC for that event. You don't want to miss it. It's an all-day freedom fest. I know there are certain would-be conservative leaders that think freedom is overrated. You know we don't think that way. I don't think you think that way. So if you want to get a ticket, please go to the website. They are going fast. Go to rebelnewslive.com. That's rebelnewslive.com. Get your orders in, and as Billy Red Lions used to say, folks, don't you dare miss it. Don't you dare
10: miss this one.
11: Freedom in 2022 is not sitting idly by while health diktats with no skin in the game make up all the rules. If you are like me and want to play an active role in upholding civil liberties and freedoms for all Canadians, for our children, and eventually our grandchildren, then come out to our Rebel Live event and get to know us in person We'll We'll hearing from some of the most influential leaders in the freedom movement. We have events in Toronto on November the 19th and in Calgary on Saturday, November 26th tickets are on sale now at rebelnewslive.com come out have lunch get some rebel swag meet the rebels and more you don't want to miss this event check it out rebelnewslive.com
7: We are back
2: with Lincoln J in Toronto. Ezra, bye bye Ezra. Uh, so I am back here. We are with Lincoln J. Lincoln, how are you doing?
12: Good, good William. How's it going guys?
2: Oh, it's going perfect. In addition to the great Lincoln J from Toronto, we also have, as seen on TV, we have Tom Morazzo here in our <laughs> Ottawa studio. Tom, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. So you dressed up today. I like seeing the dress shirt. I did.
11: No, you're more dressed than me now. It's two times that's, that I'm less dressed than That you. happens sometimes. That's Not bad. always, but every once in a while. You gotta wear a suit but next we're time. But both, we're both more dressed up than Lincoln.
7: <laughs>
2: that, that, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. That's a
11: given.
2: Another difference that you have with Lincoln is that Lincoln has a puppy straight from the Legion. Same as me and me and Celine. But you if you look at, uh, I don't know if it's possible oh. to see on the camera if you go a little bit more yeah. to the right. Yeah, you're a puppy. You drew it yourself. So you didn't yeah. buy one from the Legion. Can you explain why that is?
11: Yeah, so that seemed to be a little bit of a, a hot topic on social media the last couple of days. Um, what I have is I actually made the poppy out of some red paper that I had, and um, I have my Veterans for Freedom pin right in the middle, the holding on to it. And I have decided that uh, based on the, the, the conduct of the Royal Canadian Legion over the last year, uh, two veteran or uh, to remembrance days that I just didn't really feel like I could morally support the Legion anymore. And as a veteran, I'm a lifelong member All veterans are lifelong members of the uh, Royal Canadian Legion but even as of today there's branch 129 I think in the town of Preston you can't get in unless you show proof of vaccination so that's one issue here that I find very contradictory to the ethos of of what Canadians are Mm -hmm. you know joining the military to to try to do the second thing is they were absolutely deplorable in their treatment uh, in many of the legions not all but many of the legions out out east when James Top was walking across uh, Canada and in the eastern provinces and refused to allow him and actually cancelled events that he was at saying in in, that he was basically a racist and James Top has five deployments you know in a 27 year career in the Canadian military I think going on 28 now, the third thing was, you know, you combine that with the fact that last week, they were advertising and uh, renting out their space to a drag queen show full of children. So, you you, you know, it's just a bridge too far for me. So, I it is my own personal decision. I still wear the the poppy. It's a symbol of Remembrance Day. Uh, but I made my own, and I have my Veterans for Freedom pin in the center of it.
2: Yeah, well, I think there's different ways to like look the poppy. You know, the poppy, I think at its genesis has nothing to do with the legion i think it has to do with flanders field and it's a symbol for the veterans There's is the reason why i'm wearing it say when i think about the puppy i don't think about the legion i think most people who look at the puppy don't even think about the legion they think about the veterans so i think there's this way to look at it but there's the other way that's totally valid as well the way i should look at it when you see the legion The thing
11: is is that the poppy the royal canadian legion owns the rights to the poppy and the only place you can get a poppy is through the royal canadian legion so yes it does come from Flanders Fields but they own the rights to the poppy you're wearing so for me I, I don't judge I don't criticize it's just a personal decision that I made for myself so what other people do is their business
2: yeah no I was just curious to, to hear about that and I think that you were at the uh, war memorial morning, I did during the ceremony for uh, November 11. Mm-hmm. Uh,
11: how how was it Gengar? <laughs> it was good uh, there was a huge crowd there i i would estimate you know eight to ten thousand uh people had attended this year we were uh quite far back um i attended with with uh oh, wow. both beth there bathsheba vandenberg one of my lawyers as well as eva chippy one of my lawyers in attendance with tamara Lich, right and and here's the irony you know in a so-called free country <laughs> Tamara Lich is not allowed to attend that uh, in my presence without a lawyer being there in between us and uh, it was strange because we noticed that there was a couple of Ottawa police officers behind us at all mm-hmm. times that uh, seemed to appear out of nowhere. That's so. right, you made sure
2: to have Eva between you yes. you and Tamara the whole time. There's yeah. another thing too from the memorial this morning. There was a speech that was given by, um, I'm not sure who was giving the speech, but in the speech it was an extremely interesting speech and it reminded me of Tamara Leash. They spoke about freedom of speech, they spoke about the right to protest, and how privileged we are to have freedom of speech in our country. And then I think I looked over to Bath and, or, or Tamara or both of them and mm-hmm. Eva, and I was like, that's not what we've been seeing. Not what we've been the seeing. Convoy. At and this speech resembled so much to the speech that we heard from Tamara Leash. Mm -hmm. And Tamara Leash, when she spoke about this exact topic, was called a fascist, a white supremacist, a far-right extremist, you know, all the worst names that you can imagine. But it was a good speech, and it is true. We are a a country that is supposed to value freedom speech. We have veterans that died on the field to protect our rights, to defend our right to say what we want.
11: Well a week ago today we heard testimony of a veteran that was beaten on those steps back on February 18th and 19th right you saw the footage it's all over the internet it's a real thing it did actually happen in this country on those steps at the National War Memorial Mm -hmm. and that was only a week ago that Canadians actually got to hear the testimony. What'd you make of that?
3: Um, I think that it's horrendous, and we're talking about the way that veterans are treated now. But, yeah, to have all these things be coming to light during the commission, especially uh, Christopher Deering's testimony, I had seen that video on the internet numerous times. Lincoln, I'm sure you've seen it, too. Um, The snatch and grab, the the protesters being thrown to the ground. Um, This was an ex-veteran, military veteran, who um, had sustained severe injuries during one of his tours in Afghanistan, I believe. And um, he made it very well known. I'll just reiterate he made it very well known to the police officers that were enclosing on the other veterans on uh, it was at the memorial wasn't yes, it yes it was and uh, he told them he let them know that he was a um he was a, an injured veteran and so that if it came down to arrest they weren't going to resist um and that they could do whatever was necessary but just you know keeping in mind of his injuries and they literally threw him to the ground put a knee into his spine and punched him repeatedly
7: yeah, and,
3: yeah and we have this we saw it this was evidence that the, the anti-convoy lawyers tried to suppress and objected to but commissioner Rula was very impartial impartial, and he did uh, he did decide to have the evidence brought forth
2: yeah that's where Bathsheba and uh, Brendan Miller were arguing for presentation yes, for, him, right. for showing the evidence. Well, let's take a look at part of Chris's testimony. We just saw the tweet that was put up on the screen. Let's take a look at what he had to say exactly uh, at the commission in regards to that incident.
10: I used to come and I gave myself to the police. And as the police took me down, again, he knew he need me in my side, kicked me in my back. I was laying down. I was in the fetal position on my back. He kicked me in my ankle, my foot. As I was laying down, I had my hands completely up. I'm saying, I'm I'm very peaceful, I'm peaceful, I'm not resisting. I was then punched four or five times in my head. I had a knee on my back to keep myself down. I was on the ground for one and a half to two minutes. My hands were zip tied. The officers slowly picked me up, and then we slowly proceeded to the processing line. We get to the processing line. The day was minus 20. I had no gloves on. At the beginning of the processing line, we were standing there and I had asked, So, sorry, the, the duration of the processing line was one and a half to two hours. So I was standing there in the cold for two hours. I asked the policeman who was on both sides of me, I said, do you mind, you know my conditions, is it okay if I sit or kneel because I'm in chronic pain? It was obvious, my face was flushed, and I cried multiple times, and I don't cry ever. I was, it was the worst pain I had felt since I'd been blown up. The fact that I couldn't sit or stand was to me cruel and unusual punishment. We would go 15, 20 minutes without even moving. I also asked if I could have my medication, in which I had my prescription and my medication on my person so that if I needed it, I could ask. I asked and I was denied my my, comfort, my medication to comfort my duress.
7: We
2: both see yeah. veterans in our country being treated that way. Lincoln, you were on the ground in Ottawa. Did you see more incidents like that? What, what was the general vibe in Ottawa?
12: Yeah, well, these are the type of incidents incidences that aren't really spoken about. Now they're coming to light a bit more with the commission. But even so, it it's so hard to break that barrier where the general public can understand what actually took place over the course of those two days where the police moved in it was there was just no excuse for the way that the police were behaving and in and the f- amount of force that the police used you know when when they were attempting to get truckers out of their trucks you know they they were using some sort of ba- some sort of baton to just smash open the windows you know not not knocking on the doors asking them to go just smashing the windows open unlocking the door from the inside and and dragging them out. So, you know, I, the police, yeah, they wanted to clear out the protest. They wanted to, to, to ultimately end it, but there's just no excuse for, for the way that they went about it and the amount of force that they used. It, it was just brutal. And again, it's just tough because even though a lot of things are coming to light with the commission, a lot of things are being Mm -hmm. spoken about. The sad reality is that a lot of people still don't understand what truly happened in Ottawa. A, the, 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 the mainstream media has such a control over people and the information that they're putting out that even with the commission going on, yeah, l- more information is getting out, but there's still so many people that don't truly understand how bad it was.
2: No, of course, 100%. And, you know, the commission is there to talk about whether or not the emergency act was necessary, not anything about the convoy. So I don't expect to see much more evidence to really show what it was on the ground. But I think there are independent coverage if people go to convoyreports.com and look at all of your coverage during the convoy, all of our Rebel News reporters' coverage during the convoy, they'll be able to understand. But what we just heard Chris Deering say, like I think it's even more impactful today on November 11th, Hmm. Uh, During the ceremony, I mean, veterans were beaten up by their own police force in Ottawa. This veteran who served in the Canadian military was kicked.
3: Like, that's so disrespectful. Was
2: was (laughs) thrown snow at. And today we saw thousands of people going to honor the veterans who served for our country. But just eight months ago, we saw those same veterans beaten up by police officers. We saw them disgraced by our prime minister saying that they are a fringe minority with
11: unacceptable views and our prime minister didn't even bother to show up so you know as a veteran Tom how do you feel? Well the the important thing for me was that I got to attend Um, his presence was really irrelevant to me as a Canadian you know and and to think back to that day when Chris was arrested the all linked arms all the veterans linked arms and they communicated clearly to the police that they would not fight back and that they were veterans and all of them were wearing their medals and a lot of them had their regimental headdress on so they're berets with their regimental badges and uh the police still busted through that line right and i that's not the only video footage i've seen of of police violently taking the veterans to the ground and you know you got to understand that in a lot of cases, if if they're wearing a star, if you you see veterans with a, a star as one of their medals, not like a circular thing, that's a campaign star. That's from Afghanistan. And so, when you're seeing veterans, um, the average public or, or non-veteran won't know what the medals really mean. But at the end of the day, if you see a star, that's a campaign star from you know uh, combat uh, or being in a the theater of war. And so, to see the police do what they did against those veterans that were were linking arms um i just don't think it's excusable i i really i, I don't and i and i struggle with this the whole time because here's the irony many police officers are also part-time soldiers you know there i know several like i know dozens of police officers in the niagara region that are also Part-time soldiers, and and so how do you reconcile one treatment of one profession over the other when you you in some cases are both, yeah. but there's no way to tell on that day who was who, you know. I just know that police attacked unarmed veterans. That's all I know. Oh, it's disgraceful to think of especially in that place. Yeah, it absolutely is. All right, moving on from this this
2: sad little portion. Uh, The inquiry has been going on for four weeks now. You've been sitting there Every single thing. I think some days you only come for half a day, you come for a quarter oh, yeah. of a day. Um, but you've been sitting there for the past four weeks, and I'll come to you after, Lincoln, as well. Um, so looking back at the inquiry, is there anything that you've heard in the evidence that surprised you or that made you think, well, why did we act like this earlier? Or why did we actually do this? Is there anything surprising or shocking that you heard in the evidence?
11: Oh, that's such a great question. Um... I think it's it's the general public that actually shocks me more than anything four weeks into this uh, and our special guest every day who makes an appearance out front of the I think she took the week off too the one with the wagon who calls me a terrorist yeah, every time I walk by. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen her all week so she took the week off. Week. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> um, I but need to I, get some uh, money I need to start working. Yeah maybe yeah, she went
3: to her real job.
11: <laughs> yes exactly. Um, I, I think what's interesting is uh, we still after four weeks after four weeks, we still see this divide between about five different legal teams that talk wow. about the inquiry. The, they talk about the Emergency Act, the purpose that we're all here. And the other 15 groups, they talk about covering their butts. <laughs> it, it, it literally, you could just see them passing a hot potato from Mm -hmm. one to another and that's really that theme has still continued Mm -hmm. and we've got a very exciting week coming up I think this is when we're going to hear from the intelligence community as well as uh, um, hopefully soon to say former commissioner of the RCMP when she finds her (laughs) her moral compass (laughs) and her courage and decides to do the right thing and step down but we're we're going to have an exciting week coming up But for the most part, I I still think after four weeks, uh, two big things. And and I think this is really important. I have absolute confidence in Justice Rulo or the Commissioner Rulo. I think personally he is seeking the truth and that you can tell that when when he asks the questions. Mm -hmm. And I'm really impressed by the Commission Council as well. They are also, you know, ferociously seeking the truth. And you can tell that in their questioning. The the government lawyers Justin Trudeau's lawyers I, um, they're all over the place they're really all over the place and I, I think they're constantly grasping at straws. Uh, our team, as usual, is doing phenomenally well, and I'm and I say that with full disclosure of my bias, but it's it's a pleasure to watch. And, and every time he, you know, Brendan gets up there, the whole. Uh, the chat group lights up. It's Miller time, right? It's, it's Miller, Miller time. time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so and true. so he goes up, and, and it's just a really, f- it's the best part of the day, to be honest, when he goes up and he shreds people. No, oh, it is great. Uh, and he doesn't do it maliciously. He no. does it very respectfully, yeah. very kindly, very but cordially. Yeah. Very cordially. And um, it, it's just fun to watch. No,
2: it is. Well, I think, yeah. you know, there's something that she said. In, there, there, there's four lawyer apart from the commissioner, there are, there are four lawyers in the room that are there to figure out whether or not the emergency site was necessary. You've got Brendan Miller, you've got Eva Chipyuk, Keith Wilson, mm-hmm. and Bathsheba Vandenberg. That's Those our are our team. Yeah, that's that's, for our team, and, and those are all the Freedom Corp lawyers yes. And in addition to that, uh, to be fair, you've got Alan Honor from the TDF, yeah. and you've got some other ones from JCCF as well. But everyone else, you know, Paul Chema, I think he's more focused on being <laughs> virtue signaling in the room and trying to make yeah. his, himself live by Lee mm-hmm. than to actually find out whether or not it was necessary. I think the OPS and Peter Slowly, you know, counsel Peter Slowly. He's there for one reason to make sure that Peter Peter Slowly is actually treated fairly, uh, fairly by the by the witnesses in the room. The other mm-hmm. counsel. OPS is there to prevent a lawsuit or to be ready for a lawsuit so yeah I think you're totally right in in that sense. Um, Lincoln how long have you been watching how closely have you been following the proceedings in Ottawa?
12: Well I've been catching up with it just kind of I've been watching a bit of your live streams I've been away for a bit also so it's been a little bit tough as I was in uh, Buenos Aires Argentina uh, covering a mayor's summit there but I think just to add to Tom's point Trudeau's lawyers are all over the place because it's become clear now after mm-hmm. after what we've seen so far in the inquiry that there's no evidence, there's no justification mm-hmm. for invoking the Emergencies Act, as you guys mm-hmm. have dis- as you guys have discussed quite a bit. There was not really any negotiations between organizers and the government. You know, there was no there was no real methods to try and to try and de-escalate the situation. They basically just planned for the they basically planned for the police enforcement that we saw on the last two days uh, and that was it so I think the main takeaway from everything is just uh, that it's become clear that there was there's no justification for invoking the emergencies act
2: yeah and you know in terms of what you what you've been able to see what uh, the same things I asked for Tom you know you were on the ground for uh, close to a month I believe maybe even more than that you were in Ottawa covering what was happening uh, in front of Parliament um, in terms of the evidence that was shown in the testimonies from witnesses and witnesses like Zeg Zee Lee or Catherine McKennedy failed Ottawa mayoral candidate who, or Steve Bell for for that matter of um, chief of police former interim chief of police or uh, for the Ottawa police services is there anything that shocked you from what you've heard
12: um, well, I think just the veteran that we we just showed the clip of, hearing his testimony, I think that's all you need to see to show how out of line the police were. Th- that's mm. it. It's as simple as that, you know, it's an unarmed, mm-hmm. peaceful veteran who's handled that way. It's as simple yeah. as that.
2: I guess just finish your round table, Celine. <laughs> you've been following closely, extremely closely for the past for the past two weeks now. Anything surprising, anything that shocked you that was really extraordinary that you've heard?
3: Um yeah, just the fact that this is still going on and despite this being so obviously despite all the evidence suggesting that it was entirely unnecessary for the emergencies act to be invoked I mean that's the most surprising thing to me is that no one has just said it point blank and again I'm still if I could put my money on it I'm just waiting for somebody I don't know who but for someone in their testimony to just sit down and be like this is all this is all a ruse like this is what happened Uh, we obviously didn't use all the tools in our toolbox like You're the government, you're speaking on behalf of either municipal legislation, you got provincial, or you have federal. You have a lot of tools in your arsenal that you can use. We've been in discussion about this, we've heard the mm-hmm. testimonies, and still we don't see anyone that's come forward and just been like, no, you're right. Actually you're just right, we shouldn't have done this, and um, these are the people that are really at fault. Because it is like a hot potato, mm-hmm. exactly what you said. You see every single person, they're more incriminating things come to light, and yet they're of the same vein. Mm-hmm. So, the hot potato just keeps on being thrown to the next person that's going to catch it, and in their attempts to try and, you know, make the the people involved uh, in the convoy with the protest as their enemies, the the focal point of the negativity or or who you know they try to paint this again like it's some sort of misogynistic dangerous movement. That's when you see Brennan Miller come in and just absolutely slay them. Like just the narrative is like taken down effective immediately. And then they have the hot potato again and you can see that struggle. Mm-hmm. He literally, mm-hmm. when it's Miller time, you can just see, you know, the people start moving around, they start swallowing, breathing mm-hmm. heavier, because they know that they can't <laughs> they just squirm, but they know that they're gonna have to answer
11: some tough questions. I, just even, like, I even think Justice Rulo likes watching when Brendan comes oh, up for there sure. too. And, yeah. I, and the other day I noticed when, when Brendan was up there, I was watching the other lawyers and they were like, get the popcorn, get the popcorn <laughs> In oh, fact, uh, and I were in, in like doing my preparation for before I testified, and we were watching one of the other witnesses, and made I made a big pot <laughs> of popcorn. Of That's right. He and, sent me and, uh, a picture. Took a, and turned the camera, and we took a picture of us watching it with the popcorn. So good. Yeah. It's That's
3: so why good. I saw
2: a that picture. That's true. All right. Let's go to a quick ad break. When we come back shortly, we will speak about what is to come in the inquiry, what you can expect from the next two weeks, and then we'll part ways for today. So stay tuned.
13: Freedom in 2022 is certainly about being able to make free choices for ourselves and for our family, who we believe are the best. We have seen so much suffering over the last two years. People who die alone in terrible condition, people losing dream jobs, polarized families, and a society that insult and yell at each other for making a different medical choice. But people have risen, and it will be true them that the future will have an important meaning for all of you, but especially for the next generation. Ribbon News has been present at every step of this great challenge, but so many other pioneers whom you could meet and hear at our great conference about freedom for our beautiful country, which is Canada. This conference, which will be held in Calgary and Toronto, will show you the faces of the influence of freedom that you have seen over the past two years. You don't want to miss this. So get your ticket now at ribennewslive.com. And it will be a pleasure to see you there and meet you in large numbers. It's time to drop these masks and let the truth shine.
12: All right,
2: CSIS, let's talk CSIS for a second. CSIS, <laughs> I've got a great interaction with CSIS recently. CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence Services. That's why it CSIS, ha- it's basically the anti-terrorism agency here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And well, Brandon Miller recently, in one of his cross examinations sneakily inserted a document by CSIS. And well, let's just take a look at the clip, the clip of Brandon Miller showing he sees his document while he was cross-examining a witness take a look at that we have the clip uh, right? <laughs> all right well can you can you just, before that. So just on before that
4: document uh, there on february 3rd, or february 3rd Caesar assessed there is no uh, indicators that known i IM, imve's and i take it you know what that is uh, actors were planning to engage in violence and then if you scroll down to the, the p- other bullet points it states on February 13th CSIS advised that the implementation of the EA would likely galvanize uh, the anti-government narrative within the convoy and further radicalize of some towards violence referring to the increase in violent rhetoric following the declaration of the state of emergency in the province of Ontario furthermore CSIS advised the in- down yep. for- Thank you furthermore CSIS advised that the invocation of the EA by the federal government would likely lead to the dispersing of the convoy within Ottawa but would likely increase the number of Canadians who hold extreme anti-government views and push some towards the belief that violence is the only solution to what they perceived as a broken system and government. Following the invocation of the EA, Cease's brief cabinet and reiterated the potential for the EA to increase anti-government views and violent ideologies, including in those not yet radicalized. Can you agree with me that you would never want to uh, do anything that could create further radicalization of extremists within the city of Windsor? Is that fair?
14: I'm I'm going to object object to this question on this document. Withdrawn. And and object to this document being put to the mayor.
4: Withdrawn. I'm done.
2: Brandon goes like this, just like Ezra. You know something interesting is coming up. No, you. Uh, no, like, can you can you vulgarize what we just saw?
3: Yeah. So essentially, that document exactly explained that from CSIS, from Canadian intelligence, they literally put in their two cents, which is worth a lot because it's literally CSIS. They practically said, um, yeah, don't invoke the emergencies act. um, Negotiate with them. um, Because if you invoke it, it's going to essentially, in my own words, it's going to make them lose more trust in their government. It's going to put them in a position where those radicalized ideas would be. It Obviously, um, it's just yeah, it's um. Yeah. So don't invoke the Emergencies Act. Don't do that. Negotiate. Do other things. And they still didn't do that. And that was from Csis. And then he withdrew it because he was being objected well, against. It, you don't see that right hook when it comes from him. You know, you you miss it totally. Miss it.
2: It's in the evidence now. So right now, when the commissioner when the commissioner reviews <laughs> yeah. the reviews the inquiry reviews the evidence, this is now on the record. This document, which is what is important, it brings us to. Uh, Next week. So next week we will see CSIS officials testify in front of the Commission. Mm
11: -hmm. Um, What can we expect, you know? First, we should say what IMBE is, which is ideologically motivated violent extremism or extremists. Mm -hmm. So it's basically a really fancy acronym probably for terrorism, Mm -hmm. right? And so this is this is the whole point. CSIS basically said, hey, if you do this, you run the risk of further galvanizing anti-government beliefs and rhetoric and uh, you're basically feeding into the hands of IMVE. There are other categories of it and so next week when CSIS does come on to the stand and and I think there's more than there's a couple of witnesses from CSIS I'm not entirely clear if the the room is going to be cleared or not Mm I wouldn't be surprised if, in some cases, some of the CSIS people are uh, not testifying in public. Well, there
2: there is one commissioner. Rulut did provide a decision in sort of blackout from the public and ex parte in yeah. camera hearing uh, for a few hours for some of the CSIS officials. Right.
11: So none of us will be in the room at that time. But uh, there is, you know, from my perspective, and I'm not—I haven't really discussed this too much with the the legal team. Um, sometimes i listen to some of the questions and i and i feel like the the conditions are being put into place for this particular week coming up because mm-hmm. this is one we're going to hear from all of the secret squirrels in the canadian government right the the spy agency as yeah. well as the rcmp and the concern for me personally is that they get some sort of evidence into the courtroom that we can't really tear apart but mm-hmm. the public will not get a chance to uh, examine <laughs> that evidence themselves and, and make their own individual decisions at home and what they believe is is to be the case Yeah. and you know there's an enormous amount of evidence out there uh, so much to go through but my concern is next week that we kind of get ambushed by something dirty and okay. and, I, and I just I don't I just don't get a great feeling about next week for us and I don't mean to say that I have any inside idea that you know what there could be because I know for a fact there is nothing. Yes. But it's the government.
2: Like yeah, but that's what we're I talking. It,
11: about. I don't think it'll be
2: negative do I think you know we've seen some of the evidence shown by CISIS. We've seen some of the communication they had with the the cabinet, with ministers, with MPs, with the city. Uh, We see what they were thinking of the convoys. CISIS is the anti-terrorism agency in Canada. It's basically what it is. Um, And if there's one person that can tell you whether or not the the convoy protesters were terrorists, that's CISIS. And I truly look Mm -hmm. forward to seeing their testimony next week. Uh, Lincoln, you know, we just said CISIS can tell you whether or not the convoy people were terrorists, but you were on the ground. Um, From what you've seen, would you consider the protesters that were there domestic terrorists?
12: No. I think it's obvious, no. Like, if anyone that was actually there walking around down Wellington Street, you know, in and around those pockets of the city, it's obvious that that's not the case. One of the main examples I use to prove that that's not the case is the fact that there was, uh, you know, like food stations you know, all across the downtown core where they were serving food to anybody, not just the protesters, not just the people involved with the convoy, but to anybody in Ottawa. You know, whether you were a homeless person, a student, anybody could go there and get food. You know, that's just mm-hmm. one example. And another example is the way that they, the protesters were cleaning the streets of Ottawa, shoveling the snow. You know, the streets must have been cleaner during the three, three and a half weeks that the convoy was there than Ottawa on a regular day. So Mm -hmm. I I think it's quite obvious that the protesters were peaceful. And I think it's interesting that CSIS knew that this was going to, you know, basically open more people's eyes to the fact that uh, there's overreach from the government with the Emergencies Act, and it's going to push more people to to that side where they can see that the actions taken by the government are just not just. So, you know, the Emergencies Act is horrible, and the way that they did it was horrible. But I guess if there's any, if it, it's tough to say, but if there's anything good that did come out of it, it's how many more people were awakened from them invoking that.
2: Yeah, well I think it's great to have the insight of someone who was actually underground. You know, we've been talking to Freedom Convoy, I don't even know how to call you my Interns. We've been talking to Freedom Convoy interns <laughs> that's what says on my LinkedIn. volunteer. He's a volunteer student. We're convoy students. Um, you know, we get your perspective, but then we can also get the perspective of the actual protesters who are underground, who speak with some of our reporters, including you, including other of our rebel news journalists, uh, daily, every single day. So yeah, thanks for joining us at uh, today Lincoln. Um, and And if you guys want to see some of Lincoln's coverage during the convoy, you can can head on to convoyreports.com, and there you'll see a bunch of videos from Lincoln, Alexa, uh, David Menzies, and a lot of other people. All right. Thanks for coming on, Lincoln. Stay tuned. We'll go to a quick ad break. And when we come back, we'll discuss further uh, the Emergency Act Inquiry.
0: Freedom in 2022 is your right to disagree with me anytime on anything, in your heart, online, or in the public square. Freedom in 2022 is also your right to live your life however you see fit without hurting me or, for that matter, being bothered by me. But freedom in 2022 is in very real danger under constant attack by Justin Trudeau through his censorship bills, his attacks on gun rights, his attacks on farmers, and his attacks on peaceful protesters. These people have even tried to denormalize our flag. At Rebel News, we're not afraid to have dangerous discussions that Justin Trudeau, the media and big tech censors say we're not allowed to have, and we want to have them with you at our upcoming Rebel Live events, first in Toronto November 19th and again in calgary saturday november 26th i'll be there with dozens of other rebels and rebel adjacent free thinkers and i hope that you'll join us just go to rebelnewslive.com to get your tickets today but do not sleep on this because these tickets are going fast see you soon
2: Welcome back. We are joined by a Rebel News reporter from Quebec, Alex Alavoie. Alexa, how are you doing? I'm pretty
13: good,
2: and you? Good, good. So, yeah, <laughs> so now we just spoke a little bit about the evidence that we're going to see next. Well, not the evidence. The people that are going to be testifying next week. That's CESIS. Right. Yeah. The great CESIS office- officials are going to be taking the stand next week. Um, and we spoke about, you know, the protesters on the ground and everything. But the week right after that, the Liberal cabinet is testifying Bill Blair, Justin Trudeau, Chris Freeland, Omar, the transport minister, (laughs) Al That
7: was
3: hard for you. Yeah,
2: David Lamedi, Marco Mancino, and some others as well. Uh, That's what we're going to see in the last week of the inquiry. We'll Mm -hmm. see testimonies from the cabinet ministers. What do you expect to see uh, coming from them?
3: Well, I'd like to say that I expect, like, you know, a little bit of organized chaos where, you know, Brendan Miller goes up there and, you know, cuts down the narrative a little bit, which I suspect will be the case. But also just to see a lot more of the same. I mean, this narrative that we're seeing. I suggest it's coming from somewhere and since it was the federal government that did invoke the Emergencies Act and he had the support of the people around him from what we've been able to gather. So I think that it's pretty clear that we're going to see the same narrative, they're going to use the same words and they're going to try and paint the same picture. What about you, Alexa? What do
13: you think? But the fact that they are at the last week of all this commission give them an advance because they see all the point of view from coming from everybody so they can be more prepared and more trained to do their testimony this is the one the, the part that i'm a little bit afraid uh since like everybody has passed before them so i i think uh that give them like a, an advance on everybody um but i'm pretty sure they would try to to say that um protesters and organizer were mostly lying that uh, what they did was necessary. And um, I, I just expect what we heard so far from the prime minister during the convoy the same narrative and the same line of thinking. And it would probably use the same tool that he, he did use. And for coming on what, like Lincoln was saying, you know, um, I, he was talking about the fact that, um, you know, fr- the I wanted to, I actually forget about it, but I will come back to do that, but it was really important because you yeah. mentioned something and uh, I wanted to come back like, on it because I think it, it's it's really important. But uh, anyway, I, I, I will, uh, that will come back to me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, you know, just to come back on the point that they're testifying last. That's right. Um, I don't think we'll have too much of an impact, dude, because we already saw a lot of revealing testimonies. Uh, the lawyers were very pre- well. The lawyers prepared witnesses such as Alicia extremely well. Uh, their testimonies was very revealing. Yes, Justin Trudeau maybe did have time to see what was happening before him, but I don't think it's going to be unfair, especially looking at how Commissioner Rulo is mm-hmm. conducting um, the commission. He's extremely impartial. He's extremely neutral. He's able, as I said before, you know, you've got Paul Champ on one side and Brandon miller on the other side and he's able to be neutral to both of them and treat them the exact same way so yeah, I think I think we're gonna see a good outcome come out of this commission. I know we're pe- repeating ourselves every single day, but it's true. Like yeah. I think we're going to see a good outcome.
3: Yeah. And you know, I think that you can't stop the truth either. Like that's a really big part of all of this. We understand what it was like mm-hmm. um to see firsthand the accounts of the people that were there, a part of the convoy. We saw exactly how the police were treating these protesters, these Canadian patriots, these people that were coming together for a common goal, a common ideology, despite their differences. It was literally The largest gathering that I've seen and will probably see in my lifetime of people that all came for the same reason. It was people of different ethnicities, backgrounds, um, identities, et cetera. Everyone was able to put their differences aside if they did have them to come together for this common goal. So you can't mm. stop the truth from coming out. I don't believe that. I think that's why inevitably, no matter how much they mm. try to suppress the evidence or object to it, you literally just cannot break down or or throw a veil over, so to speak, a truth that is so prominent, prominent such as what we saw in Ottawa.
13: Yeah, and uh, I just retrieved, like Lincoln mentioned that one of the best, Thing that this event did, it's opening the eyes of of other people that saw the overreach of the government, but also I wanted to add that this event and how the government did react and treat the ONVAX or or the, these people were protesting, did create a big polarization, more deep that we saw before. We had like really the people wanted the like the freedom and we saw the people mm-hmm. who were really on the other side who actually paint that protest th- those protesters as like uh, criminal and and white nationalists and racists, and and they never been on the ground with us like like they never like see all what's happening with their own eyes they just follow the media, and we saw it in the commission that, uh, I think it's Peter Slotty who mentioned the misinformation and disinformation that was coming from the media. But this is for mm-hmm. everything. Disinformation was like so huge. So the people who were looking at the media had a completely other like narrative than the, mm-hmm. what we were seeing on the ground. Yeah. yeah.
2: Not only did Peter Slotty mention misinformation by the media, but Jim Jim Watson, mayor of Ottawa, well, former mayor of Ottawa, uh, said he relied on mainstream media to look at you know the incidents that happened with people to look at the violence coming from the protester when he said that uh, well the convoy created people that had their masks snatched away from their face by absolutely not convoy no. protesters no and then brendan miller I, I believe it was brendan miller who pressed him on that said well did you see any of that yourself yes and he said <laughs> i saw it in the media you know it's all it's all it's all the media everything they see in terms of violence that arose from the convoy they gather that information from mainstream media no i think it's very re- revealing and just shulo must be seeing that uh right now um just to move on from this a little bit i, I don't know how much time we have left for this live stream but i want to talk a little bit about justin trudeau and their, their behavior mm-hmm. i don't have the list of clip in front of me right now so if you can just take a look at one clip that involves uh, justin trudeau from this past uh, um, that, that we've seen in the past that would be great just take a look at that I don't know if we have any clip by by Justin Trudeau. Mm-hmm. I don't have a list of clips in front of me. Uh.
8: New testimony about what happened uh, over the course of the uh, invocation, the Emergencies Act and the illegal blockades uh, that were seizing uh, Ottawa and indeed places right across the country. Uh, we called this inquiry uh, so that Canadians could see exactly why it was needed to invoke the Emergencies <laughs> Act and how when we invoked it we invoked it in a way that was responsible limited uh and uh, targeted on uh solving the problem as quickly as possible uh we uh, thank the commission for its ongoing work we thank everyone who's participating uh, i uh, asked from the very beginning uh to be uh, allowed to appear to share uh, our perspective on this this was an important uh, and difficult moment in uh, in canada's uh, uh history and it's important that to the right lessons be drawn
3: how absolutely insane is that? Like to have someone in a high position such as the literal the literal prime minister of Canada lie through their teeth Saying that they they have this commission going on because the rest of Canada needs to see exactly why it was needed, why it was necessary for the Emergencies Act to be invoked, and then you have every single person that has been that has testified that's from the OPS OPP. We had Windsor Police, Mm -hmm. we had different city officials, provincially, federally. No one has said or agreed. No one has agreed. I'll be more specific. No one has agreed with Trudeau that invoking the Emergencies Act was necessary. There have been times where they said it was helpful, but not necessary again, to break it down. All of the border blockades were dissolved prior before the emergencies mm-hmm. act was invoked. The only thing that went on continuously was Ottawa. And you got to see that firsthand you stayed with Lincoln, um, uh, the longest, I think out of anyone and a couple other people that went there to go and help film and, and just be support to, to rotate. I know you guys were live streaming late at night, so you got to see everything. From the peacefulness, the little middle ground, and then to where the police cracked down. And you had, uh, you were shot. You were shot in the leg with a, a canister of tear gas. Isn't that right?
13: Yes. Um, and just, um, what do you want to expect from Justin Trudeau? In life from mm-hmm. the beginning, like same before, like protesters arrive in Ottawa. They are calling them fringe minority who stole food from the homeless who are, like, racist, misogynist, and and so on. Like, I call by all names people. And what I saw so far, it was just peaceful people. And you know what? It's what I observed for the first time in my life. People coming from from different walks of life and Mm -hmm. be able to cooperate and not judge nobody and and let that different on the side to work all together for one goal is getting back their freedom and this is something that's bothered me because we talk about thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people gathering at the same place these people represent the society in society we have bad people and we have good people we have people who do like bad stuff but why? Because one person did one action. The thousands mm-hmm. other one are the same. Since when we do that? Like, yeah. it's the example, like in, in 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 the politics. Because one person in politics in the group did something wrong, we just expose that person and say that that represent not that doesn't not represent our party. But it's exactly. the same thing that what what what, what was happening. And in the video, I was really finding funny because uh, you had like all these bubble head doing that around like Trudeau. <laughs> I was just like, this is <laughs> hilarious, you know? Because Christian Freeland, she's she's all the way there. Like, yeah, 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 But in the same time, like he is lying. He's lying since the beginning, and 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 he's supposed to represent all Canadians. Whatever your bags on bags or your. A different you have different view you should accept them yeah. same if they don't believe what you say or they are disagreeing with with what you try to do you represent all of them like same if mm-hmm. they didn't vote for you you represent them so no the way yeah. he was talking about first of all he was putting all the protesters as on backs and terrible person when we know that yeah. there were were vax and, on it, vax was and yeah, it
3: was mixed yeah it was mixed exactly
13: and so he just painted them as terrible person mm-hmm. and and it was troubling to see that coming from the mouth of the prime minister of canada
2: yeah, and there's there's one person we saw in the video. It's a minister, defense minister, Anita Annan. I forgot to mention her. She's going to be testifying as well, the defense minister, a um, Liberal Party defense minister for the country of Canada. Uh, so we'll see her testimony as well. But no, I fully agree with you, Alexa. Um, and Justin Trudeau continues to try to defend his decision to invoke the emergency act despite everything that we're seeing. Another thing, too, is that Justin Trudeau wasn't the one to call the inquiry. The inquiry is built in the emergency act It's built within. So Make sure that there's no authoritarian leader authoritarian yeah, leader like- <laughs> that uses it that uses it unjustifiably um, when it's not necessary when you shouldn't use it so it's not Justin Trudeau who called the, the inquiry yeah, it trying is, to make
3: himself sound like some hero yeah it is yeah, to yeah, it a <laughs> into this. like yeah, get out it's, of here it's come a, on
2: it's a fail safe built in the law to prevent authoritarian leaders from using it so it'll be interesting to, to see that as well and third thing too I'm wondering if he's going to actually answer a question you know Justin Trudeau hasn't answered a <laughs> single question in seven years since he got elected imagine Brent. brendan's gonna go up he's gonna
3: be like uh um water bottles um paper (laughs) bottles um It's, I can't wait to see like the actual literal breakdown. It's lots of fragile masculinity behind this individual. So I can't wait. Because we will be in
2: the room and we'll be able to ask them questions as they come out. Mm -hmm. We'll be able to question Mm -hmm. them about their testimony, about the emergencies act and everything else. So definitely stay tuned for that. All right. I don't know once again, how much time we have left. If someone could tell, let me know in my ear, how much time (laughs) we have left before we need to um, move away from this live stream. So let's go to,
13: yeah. Oh, uh, I was just mentioning that it would be, it was will be like delectable to see Justin Trudeau being asked for once, real question, Mm -hmm. you know? Like we saw Justin Trudeau that media doesn't ask what we want to hear, but for once it will not have the choice. But the thing is like just introduce pretty good to not answer the question when it's actually tough question he's actually turn, oh, turning around so we see like if um example like uh, tdf or uh, other lawyer would be will have actually enough time because as you know it, 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 they are not the one who decide how much time they have for asking questions but i hope they will have enough time to ask like question that we need yeah. we need to to ask
2: they will don't worry about that the commission is extremely fair they've been granted standing it, every, everything i really don't have any doubt in that regard yeah uh, at all especially since they have brendan miller and Bath sheba who are also cross-examining <laughs> so they're all working together a little bit all right thanks so much for coming in alexa we will go to a quick ad break and when we come back we'll have our editor in chief she's gonna rejoin us Yay. for a quick segment and then we will be uh done for the today so stay
7: tuned
15: Freedom in 2022 is a great threat in Canada. We've got provincial governments that have stripped away fundamental human and civil liberties in Canada. And we've got a federal government that is censoring and controlling the media and even cracking down on the right to protest in ways that are unprecedented in the post-war era. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's a fascinating but terrifying time if you're concerned about freedom, concerned about your basic liberties right now. But we've got to do more than just complain about it. That's why I've accepted the invitation to speak at the Rebel Live conference in Calgary, November 26, coming right up here. I'm gonna be speaking in particular about the state of the media. It's controlled by the federal government and what independent media can do to hold power to account, to stand up for our basic freedoms. I'm gonna be there, I hope you'll come. Uh, you can buy your tickets at rebelnewslive.com and uh, I hope to see you there.
2: All right, we're back with Sheila.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Olivia in studio. I don't know if there's a connection issue with Skype, but I cannot see the team in Ottawa. So if I call for a clip or anything like that, I can't see and I can't see if they think I'm funny or if they think I'm ridiculous. So so maybe maybe we could fix that. I'd really appreciate that. Thanks, um, because I'm uh, 100% flying blind right now. Um, Guys in Ottawa, let me just say as sort of head of all the journalists and um sort of the coach of the journalists i think i sort of am you guys are doing a fantastic job (laughs) um it can it can be um taxing a little bit um to have to sit through this testimony and uh hear what is happening to good people um firsthand and relive their experiences with them but um I uh, I'm really proud of the work that you're doing, and your your attention to detail, and your uh, speaking truth to power on behalf of all the people across the country who are wondering why the mainstream media journalists are not doing their jobs. Thank you, Shula. <laughs> Thank yeah. you.
2: No, what I, th- I think it's uh, the important thing about us being here, I think, is to have a, an alternative view of the convoy and it's inter- an alternative view of the situation. We see all the mainstream media reporters uh, looking at this from one specific angle, which is the convoy was bad. You know, Justin Trudeau, yeah. good. emergency like, good. Convoy, bad. They're all looking at it that way. The convoy terrorized people of Ottawa. They terrorized, terrorized citizens by providing food, by having bouncy castle, by having <laughs> trucks on the street
3: yeah well there's no there's no variation to their narrative and we know that you can see it very clearly like clearly a part of me when we're in the room with them in the media room that is uh here live at the commission the the points that they really make uh i'll 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 just i'll be the one to to say it that's fine but um i was able to observe them actually laugh Um, when certain people were called to the stand and became very emotional while giving their testimony about the personal experiences that they had. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I just kind of headphones on, turn that volume up a little bit. Sometimes I would leave the room because it is very, very disturbing to see stuff like that happen where you have um, a a news agency, so-called we'll say, um, where they're supposed to actually be able to provide people with the truth and be able to broadcast the honest narrative. And you can see that it's very distorted when it comes from them. And it's clear within their actions behind that room and behind closed doors as well.
0: Yeah, that's why I'm so glad you guys are there um, because that's the sort of thing that the public would never know about. You would never know that you're dealing with the mainstream media who thinks honking is terrorism, but throwing a peaceful protester in jail for 49 days is just the cost of doing business to bring back the boring order to the streets of Ottawa. You guys, I I think we're going to call for a quick ad though and see if I can reconnect, well, because instead, I have no instead, idea instead what's of calling going
2: on. For, <laughs> instead of calling for that, I, you know, since the beginning, we've been talking about helpful, but not necessary. The phrase helpful, but not necessary, which is what we've heard, uh, what we've been hearing many witnesses say. But there's one clip, clip number 10. If we could throw to that, let's take a look at that. It's um, Patricia Ferguson, OPS acting deputy chief. Patricia Ferguson stating under oath that the Emergencies Act was helpful, but not Necessary. necessarily like what she said
4: as I understand your testimony earlier there were only two ways in which the invocation of the emergencies act was of use to police in ending the freedom movement protests one it bypassed the requirement to swear in officers from other jurisdiction which saved a bit of time and two it helped to procure the services of heavy rig tow truck operators is that a fair characterization of your testimony
10: of my testimony? Yes. I yes. do believe, though, um, the seizing of assets was also helpful.
4: The, uh, can Seize. you expand on that?
10: Uh, so, the threat of seizing assets of… Um, oh, right. …bank accounts and uh, rigs and things like that.
4: Okay. Uh, useful, but not necessary.
10: Yeah. Useful,
14: but not necessary.
0: Oh, hey, guys. Have you checked out our Rebel News store lately? You really should because we're always adding fun things into the store. As the news changes, I guess so does the merchandise. We've got something for everybody. We've got a great selection of pro-trucker merchandise, like this excellent Honk Honk shirt right here that will surely drive all your liberal friends and relatives absolutely crazy, although I don't think the trip is all that far. But right now, in the store, this is my very favorite T-shirt, and I know T-shirts. Free Tamara in support of convoy leader Tamara Leach as she is treated like a common terrorist by Justin Trudeau's government for her role in the peaceful week's long street party against COVID mandates in Ottawa. I've got great news though, if you can't decide which shirt is your favourite because right now at rebelnewsstore.com you can use the coupon code FALL, F-A-L-L, and buy two t-shirts and get 25% off. And as always, shipping is free. So head on over to rebelnewsstore.com, pick your two favorite t shirts, and save 25%. Thanks, and remember, free Tamara.
9: Freedom in the year 2022, for me, folks, it means the return of Rebel Live. Now Rebel Live is an annual event we used to put on before the man, or was it the COVID Karen, made us shut it down during the pandemic years. It is a freedom fun fest, if you will. All the freedom fighters you've grown to know and love over the years, they're gonna be speaking at the Toronto and Calgary events. The Toronto event is on November 19th, that's a Saturday, and it will feature the likes of Dr. Julie Panessi, archer polowski tamara leach and all
2: your all right we're back need
0: a now. New headshot <laughs> in the worst way <laughs> I think we all um, need one. guys yeah i'm i'm gonna call for a couple of clips here guys i put it in the skype chat or the slack chat olivia just so you're not cl- caught flat footed but are we were we able to find and i know it's out there pretty easily to grab justin trudeau calling people names Uh, saying that they're racist, sexist, misogynist. I just want to show what he called people. And then let's talk about the impact that actually had on people um, Mm -hmm. when he was calling them those names, because, um, you know, he's a buffoon and we all know that. And I don't take him seriously, but the mainstream media sure does. And so they repeat verbatim, Without skepticism, because they have lost all journalistic um, curiosity, the things that he said he said about the people in the convoy without ever actually talking to the people in the convoy. Like your prime minister can just call you racist and your media then will repeat it. And then all of a sudden you're racist forever. And you get people who are like, uh, I'm Sikh or uh, I'm, I'm black or I'm indigenous. Like it's it's so obvious But um, that's the state of the mainstream media here in Canada.
2: You get a a Métis grandmother called a white supremacist. (laughs) that's what you get when that's what happens. (laughs)
0: Uh, I think Olivia is having difficulty finding that clip. I should have called for it a little bit earlier, put it in the Slack chat earlier. But um, anyway, let's go to clip 14. And if I scroll back... I can give you a quick uh, description of what clip 14 is. So clip 14 is Tamara Leach, upon hearing that her prime minister had decided that she was a sexist, racist, domestic terrorist, um, you can hear the emotional impact that this had on her. And quite frankly, it radicalizes people against the government when you're like, no, I, I simply just think we should be allowed to have as many people in our house for Christmas as we want, and that doesn't make me a sexist. that turns people away from the prime minister and hopefully he'll find out the hard way at the ballot box the next time around, but let's go to clip 14, please.
14: I was becoming increasingly alarmed listening to my prime minister call me a racist and say that I shouldn't be tolerated. I found his rhetoric to be incredibly divisive. And I'm a, I'm a believer that if you're a leader of a country, you have to lead all of your people, even if you don't agree with them. And I, I just saw so much coming across Canada. Every day I heard stories, people, at least three people would tell me they were planning their suicides until we started the convoy, or stories of people that we were too late. I heard from families that were living in their vehicles because they'd lost their jobs. I heard from people that had lost their jobs and lost everything. I have the tears of thousands of Canadians on my shoulder, who every day told me that we were bringing them hope. I saw little old ladies praying on their knees on the side of the road, and I saw little children holding signs saying, Thank you for giving me back my future. Just makes me so angry.
0: Because imagine you've lost everything, you're living in your car, you're contemplating suicide, and then your prime minister calls you a racist on top of it. Never having met you, not knowing you. He is the prime minister, as Tamara rightly points out, of all of Canada not just of the liberal voters. And he is clearly the most divisive politician since his father, who turn, quickly turned the West against him as though we were ever for him. But the remaining ones that were, he quickly uh, decided that he didn't want anything to do with the West. And here we are again. This Métis grandma from the West decided, we, we've got to do something. We we just can't do nothing. And for her troubles, she gets labeled as literally one of the worst things on the planet, you know, it being called a racist means that you are denying the inherent, um, humanity of the person beside you. Like, uh, I, I'm not sure what Tamara's religion is. We never had that discussion, but I think she's a believer. And when you, when you judge people on the color of their skin beyond their character, You're denying the fact that they are an image bearer of the divine. And I know that that's not Tamara. I know that it's not. But simply because she stood up to the prime minister, her prime minister labeled her all of those things. And it's just absolutely despicable. Shame on him. But, But he's an idiot. So shame on all the journalists who repeated it without any sort of skepticism whatsoever. They are responsible for Tamara's tears as well.
2: I mean, I think that you just covered everything that we we had to say about that, all the, uh, on that. Uh, I, no, I think that you're right. And we do have the clip of Justin Trudeau calling the truckers and the people part of Freedom convoy and what he says that are anti-vaxxers, uh, misogynists, racists, far-right extremists. Uh, take a look at exactly what Trudeau said.
11: Sure. Yeah. On sent que la security is accrue autour de vous. Là. On sent que c'est… Uh... C'est plus dangereux, peut-être, en ce moment, pour vous? Ben,
8: on est en, dans un moment difficile parce qu'on est en train de prendre des, des, des choix importants. Euh, on est en train de décider que, oui on va s'en sortir de cette pandémie par la vaccination. Puis on on en connaît tous, des gens qui sont I- en train d'hésiter un petit peu, on va continuer d'essayer de les convaincre, mais il y a aussi des gens qui sont farouchement opposés à la vaccination. Qui
0: sont extrémistes.
8: Qui croient pas dans la science, qui sont souvent misogynes, souvent racistes aussi. C'est un, 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 une petite un petit groupe, mais qui prend de la place. Et là, il faut faire un choix en tant que leader, en tant que pays. Est-ce qu'on... Euh, est-ce qu'on tolère ces gens-là ou est-ce qu'on dit, ben voyons, la plupart des gens, presque 80 % des Québécois ont fait ce qu'il fallait faire, se sont fait vacciner, on veut revenir à, 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 aux choses qu'on aime faire, euh, c'est pas ces gens-là qui vont nous bloquer. Maintenant, on est dans une quatrième vague qui est, est presque entièrement des gens non vaccinés, qui remplissent nos hôpitaux à travers le pays. Euh, à un moment donné, il faut, faut mettre son pied à terre pour dire, excusez-moi, là, mais il n'y a pas de débat sur la science.
0: No, but there is a debate, no debate in science. science. Like th- th- that, that, That's science. Like, that's literally science. The part that really bothers me here, beyond the fact that he's calling people names that he refuses to even talk to, he doesn't even care what's in their minds or on their hearts or what compels a person to leave behind everything and go all the way across the country at their own expense because they don't know what else to do. It's when he says... They're taking up space. What does that even mean? That they shouldn't even exist? Like, when you take up space, it's the fact that you are alive, that you're existing, that you are composed of matter in the universe. There's a little bit of science for you, Justin Trudeau. But he doesn't even want them to exist as atomic matter. Like, what the hell is that? That's revolting. If he said that about anybody else, they'd be calling him genocidal. But since he said it about people who are resistant to forced vaccination, not anti-vaxxers, but people who simply believe in choice, it's just fine and dandy because 80% of the people went along to get along. Well, it doesn't matter. Those 20% of people have a right to exist. You just don't get to disappear them from society and then claim tolerance,
2: I agree. It's it's just just ridiculous <laughs> to hear that. You're such a <laughs> such such a hateful speech. It, it, it's such yeah. a hateful speech, and it being broadcasted on television, widely accepted as an acceptable thing to say. You know, saying as as you just mentioned once again, um, that they take up space. How how can anyone say that and be seen as someone that's super nice, that's super tolerant? You take up space, and there's the other thing too. There's no debate on vaccination. The scientific method. Is literally to question everything. If someone says something, if someone says the sky question is blue, why test. is it? Yeah, why is it blue? Like, test your oh, okay, theory. Well,
7: yeah.
2: yeah, exactly. You know, it's a Socratic method. I love the Socratic method. Just asking why 50 times. But it's true. You should debate. There's, <laughs> there's no reason why you shouldn't be debating anything.
3: Well, I just think that it's specifically really disgusting to have the prime minister of any country Mm. actually label their citizens as misogynist, racist, et cetera, all of those terrible things that he said, because at the end of the day, labels can be very, very dangerous. And it's not about even, yeah, they're affected by these labels. Obviously, if you're being called a misogynist or a racist and you inherently do not hold any of those values, but it is just like we were talking about mainstream media and other actual radicalists that hear those things. And then it's the way that they will treat those people that becomes very, very dangerous. That's when you have the police that even if it's an order and they're just following orders, they won't blink twice to throw down veterans because their their prime minister has labeled them as misogynist, racist, domestic terrorists. So all in the name of doing their duty and upholding what they believe is right is all channeled and funneled from a narrative that comes from who is supposed to be representing the entirety of Canada. Justin Trudeau, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Who's
0: who's that horrible journalist there who just sat there and was like, yep, 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 yep. Um, (laughs) Seems legit. (laughs) Yeah. And she interjected. She was the one who said extremists. And he's just, she opened the door and he just like kicked it down like the Kool-Aid man and walked right through it and started throwing around all sorts of names on everybody. Who is she that is so horrible that she didn't say like, hang on for a second here. There are 6 million Canadians who you said couldn't get on an airplane because they were unvaccinated, dirty people. Do you think that 6 million Canadians that you that you're the prime minister of a country that has such a racist, sexist, extremist problem that there are six million of them? Is there something wrong with you maybe that you got elected by those people? She didn't even think about that. Like it was, speaking of which, that should move us on to a clip that I wanted to throw to you about the mayor of Coots, Alberta, who said something similar. Um, But uh, let's go to, uh, yeah, let's go to clip 15. Because Keith Wilson, lawyer for the convoy, he um, was questioned about the so-called hate speech coming from the convoy, which, by the way, there are no hate crimes charges against anybody within the convoy. I, I want to point that out. Everybody keeps talking about how they're hateful and there was um, hate oriented criminality or whatever the OPS said when they make up these new policing terms that aren't real. Um He was asked about that and he said, ah, it's not these guys doing all the hate talking. It's the prime minister. So maybe we can go to clip 15.
4: You agree hate speech has been codified in the criminal code, right? Yes. And I find the prime minister's hate speech towards unvaccinated people and saying, how do we deal with these people? Deeply troubling. Right. So you, you don't agree then that. Uh, threats against the life of somebody is, is is not a protected form of speech under the Charter. Uh, I do not believe that anyone, either morally or legally, should be threatening anyone else's life and I have received many death threats myself since representing the Freedom Convoy.
2: His responses are just great, Keith. It showed that he's a lawyer, you know, <laughs> the way that he just turned around the question when he was asked about hate speech was just a great response, great testimony overall yeah. from Keith.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah, no, just for sure. Yeah. I totally agree <laughs> with you. Uh, we know Keith, um, we we've talked to him, obviously we've conducted some interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, I've spoken with him personally as well. And it's very clear, um, cause he was, it's a very unique, um, instance for people that are not aware, but Keith was also in Ottawa at the time of the convoy. So he was there yeah. mm-hmm. at the same time. And that's how he was, uh, introduced to Tamara Leach, I believe as well. So all of those things came together in conjunction at once. And now he's here providing a testimony as well as being here to defend the people that he worked and knew personally on a personal basis every single day. Um, so what he says in regards to uh hate speech and how the prime minister is literally just dead naming people. And it, it, it's horrible.
2: Yeah, and but... just, just to touch on that, you know, he's testifying and he's also a lawyer. And there's a quick quick thing that I'm gonna that I'm gonna talk about. And I don't think a lot of people know about this. It's very interesting. So mm. there's a reason why Keith was able to testify while still being a lawyer. So the way yeah. that the convoy The convoy lawyers organized themselves. They organized themselves following the British method. So they had a solicitor and they had a barrister. Uh, In Britain, that's what they usually do. The barrister is going to be the one going on the stand, cross-examining the witnesses, asking questions, talking to the judge. And the solicitor is going to be the one doing the background work, doing the paperwork. And Keith knew that there was a chance that he would be testifying. So he made sure that him and Eva would stay back and do the work from behind and be in contact with Brendan and Bath Sheba Vandenberg. And Bath and Brendan would be the ones testifying. It's a very interesting thing when you think about it.
0: yeah, Keith is a longtime freedom oriented lawyer from the West. So when he went to Ottawa, it was no surprise mm-hmm. for me to see him there. and then, you know, trying to like to see, you know, him being on the ground, outside, on the street with the protesters um no better lawyer to do it i don't think um and you know an eyewitness account you know, he's got something the mainstream media journalists don't have. And that's the fact that he was a witness to the things that went down in the convoy when the mainstream media journalists were like, "Ooh, no, icky. Blue collar people are in our city, which is going to sit in our cubicles all day, nice and toasty and warm. While the most interesting story in the entire world was unfolding on the streets right in front of him. Like, think about how terrible of a journalist you have to be when the most compelling interesting largest human rights demonstration in the entire country in the history of the country is unfolding on the street right outside of your office and you're like mm, gross no thanks no that's right what is the, 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 CBC what's the prime minister doing
2: <laughs> yeah, the CBC, the CBC Ottawa office is located on Sparks Street, right next to Parliament. We keep walking past it every single day. Mm-hmm. It's very funny to walk past it, but in, reg- in regards, their, their office is literally on the street right next to Parliament. Yeah. There's one there's Parliament, Wellington, Sparks. So if they wanted to get some <laughs> eye, eyewitness accounts from yeah. the convoy, all they had to do was get up from their little cubicles, walk outside, open the door, take their camera and look at what was actually happening. They were right there.
3: Well, you know, interestingly enough, what I was able to observe while I was there in Ottawa in the beginning too, is the only time that, that I really saw them there and like with their cameras was from behind police barricades. Yeah. That narrative, the, the way that you choose to paint a picture is very, very yeah. important. So they're live streaming from behind a police blockade that was just put up there because there was so many people around Parliament. So of course, just to be able to put a little bit of separation and to create a path for people to go into, but it looks like there's actual crazy stuff happening because the first yeah. thing you see is a barricade, and then you see a bunch of police officers and police cards, and and then you just see people all over the place. There's no context. It's just what they're saying. We were in the crowds. We were talking to people. They couldn't do that. They wouldn't. And the times that they were in the crowd, they were masked up and like terrified of the people around them. And (laughs) yeah, of course, no, one's going to give them an interview because they knew exactly how they would be portrayed.
0: Oh, you remember at the UCP AGM, Celine, you and me, I'm like, Oh, mainstream media journalists ah, yeah. mainstream media there's one right there why I don't I don't know who they are I don't care who they are but they're all wearing masks
3: Tables <laughs> That's all of, of Masked people yeah totally
0: you could tell you could tell I'm like oh there's the like post media Toronto <laughs> like the Toronto star aisle and then there was like the like four cool kids conservative journalists that were just like living free and having fun like you could Literally. see there was like a division it was completely yeah. like that and it's yeah. it's like that everywhere you go with these people, like they, they stand, they take pictures of the crowd, like they're taking pictures of wildlife, but dare they go actually <laughs> talk to them or like see that they're normal? They Because I think if you actually talk to them, it would undo your preconceived notions about them, right? And so you don't want that you want them to be the extremist, you don't want to go talk to them and find out that they're married to a black man or whatever you know like that you want them to be the like scary racist person in your head and if you go talk to them you're going to find out otherwise so why would you do that why would you go looking for the truth
3: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's really funny, again, just to point out about about, like mainstream media is just like the masks, like their narrative that they created about protesters ripping masks off of the other people in Ottawa. Listen, there was like no one with a mask on around those crowds, no one at all. And the few times that I saw them on police officers or mainstream media people. There was nobody reaching out over police barricades. Can you imagine ripping anything off of a police officer and getting away with it? I'm reliable. Um,
0: I'm reliably informed that that's assault and battery. And so if that did happen, (laughs) you could. That's a charge, right? Like you don't have to like invoke the Emergencies Act because even if it were happening and I don't believe it was because that's insane. Nobody's doing that. When you see somebody wearing a mask still, I'm like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. sad very sad for them but like but um if if that were happening you don't need the emergencies act you just need to go charge them with assault that's assault when you yank like if you walk if i walked up to celine and yanked her hair you go tell a cop the cop charges me with assault done 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 you don't need a wartime law for that the dumbest thing that i've ever heard when i heard that i was like okay that definitely didn't happen but even if it did um that's assault that's not Mm. war measures
3: yeah. Well, again, it is the same people that are classifying the bouncy castles also as being ex- inherently dangerous and life threatening. So, makes sense a little bit
2: to me.
0: What a boring town, William. You live there. Is that town as boring as I think it is?
2: Yeah. You know, everyone keeps talking badly about <laughs> Ottawa. I've been trying to convince people to move to Ottawa. That that's here's my pitch for people. It's a gorgeous city. It's beautiful. But so it's is Edmonton, corrupt. but
0: I don't like it. But it's oh. corrupt.
2: I like the look of the town. The Parliament Hill is just fantastic to watch. Hmm. Rideau Canal is a great school run there. Um, but it's corrupt. It's corrupt to its core. Uh, it's a political town. It's government people that are there. So that ruins it a little bit. I like it. Come to Alberta. I don't mind. Yeah, I, I, I want to the freedom the I move to the great province of Alberta once.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of politicians that... Uh, completely
2: uh sandwich,
0: protesters yeah. <laughs> thank you speaking of terrible politicians and and bureaucrats um let's go to um i think it is the clip it's one of the last ones in the in uh, what did i write down
3: Sorry. 13, uh is it
0: clip 13 the mayor of coots coots alberta um where so, well, uh, simultaneously- mm-hmm. Yeah, simultaneously as the convoy was going on, for those of you who don't know, um, some truckers and farmers and locals and thousands of their friends um, were engaged in a sometime blockade of the main border crossing between Alberta and Montana, Coutts, and Alberta and Sweetgrass, Montana. They really operate as one town because there's really not enough people on the side to facilitate all the services that you need. But farmers were doing that. Truckers were doing that. Locals were doing that. People were coming from all around to support them. Uh, some of the most beautiful imagery of just the the people on horseback holding the Alberta flag, coming in to help. Bitterly cold. We have a documentary if anybody would like to see about our journalist time there. It's at alberta. Do- no, sorry, truckerdocumentary.com. Um, so you can take a look at that there. But the mayor of Coote's ha- had some unkind things to say about the people who are blocking the border. And I think this is kind of ridiculous because he's the mayor of a village where um, I think it's fewer than 300 people live there. 250 people. Yeah, 250, yeah. So half the size of Mirror, Alberta, which I think is like 500 people on a good day, 1,500 if they're having a protest, but uh, but um, he, ha- he had some unkind things to say about his own residence. And again, I, uh, I, I'll draw some comparisons to him and Justin Trudeau shortly after if we want to roll that clip.
4: Why did you describe the protesters as domestic terrorists?
1: When I look for the definition of a domestic terrorist, <laughs> these people seem to fit that bill and yet no one ever labeled them that.
13: You felt they were they were terrorizing people by their behavior
1: because they were
2: causing harm to the country. Do you still have the same view that the truckers were domestic terrorists? I think whoever okayed blocking the highway was possibly.
7: Well,
2: he answered like a man, liberal, though. <laughs>
0: that yeah, that guy is not a very bright man. Um, I think in his testimony, he said um, just in his own. Uh, anecdotal evidence. Although I think it would really be quite easy to poll a town of 250. You could just like go knock doors one afternoon. Um, <laughs> but he said uh, roughly 70% of the people in his town supported what the truckers were doing. That's right. Yeah. Which means which means that he is the mayor of a town that supports domestic terrorism. And um, if he were a more reasonable man. Like, look, if I were the mayor of a town that was all of a suddenly supporting homegrown Al-Qaeda, which is domestic terrorism, like if you're actually going to use that word, let's talk about it. If you were the mayor of Omar Cotterville, I would be like, uh, I don't want to be the mayor here. I don't want anything to do with these terrorists. But him, yeah, he's happy. He's going to be the mayor of the village. It's fine. I hope they punish him. Uh, handily at the ballot box for what he said about his community Um, because somebody who thinks he's the mayor of a town of domestic terrorists um, he shouldn't have that job you should be the most proud of your of your community and he's clearly not
2: well, here's the thing you know i asked him that question if you say that 70 percent of them are domestic terrorists does it mean that you think that you're <laughs> the mayor of a terrorism supporting uh, supporting town he said if you want to flip it that way that's fine but anyways if you actually do the math for a second 70 percent of 250 is 175 so it means that in his community 175 of the people were supporting so-called domestic terrorism and only 75 percent were opposed to the coup movement
3: this is what I found so confusing about his testimony because he said this during the testimony. And then in his closing statement, he was like, yeah, like I, I support them. Like I totally support them. It was just when it started to affect my village, you know, uh, and local locals were impacted. I was mm. like, you know, that's a real like Alberta thing. Like this is just a really big family to say that. And then he like goes and backpedals again and he's like, but yeah, they're basically like domestic terrorists though. Like the ones that were walking yeah. the highway. It's like, what? make up your mind, please. No, just make up your- well, though, I'll,
2: well, I'll give him, I'll give him credit for answering the questions because he was at least yeah, able sure. to answer the questions.
7: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, he's the mayor of coots. Like we'll just come find him. Like answer the question. answer the answer the questions, or we're coming to Coots again. But um, you know, I, it, it's funny he, that he accused the truckers of inconveniencing the town of Coots because really, at the end of the day, as our um, trucker documentary shows, it wasn't the people of Coots being inconvenienced by the blockade by the truckers. It was the people of Coots being inconvenienced by the blockades put up by the RCMP, which were preventing people from coming in to the l- slightly larger town of Milk River. They were being cut off and starved out. They couldn't get supplies. They wouldn't bring in diesel, um, it wouldn't bring in like cardlock trucks of so diesel mm-hmm. trucks. Um, They were being cut off by the RCMP. And that's what the was we have people in Key and Simone documentary saying they couldn't get their nurse to come in on the highway because of the RCMP blockades, RCMP that caused the inconvenience at Coots and not the truckers. They were letting ambulances through. They were letting um, other trucks through. They were letting the school bus through because like I said, it operates as like one town, the two communities. It wasn't the truckers who were the domestic terrorists if were going to stick a label there might have been the RCMP causing all the problems down there, which means that I have a beautiful segue into the next, um, next clip about coots, because right now in Alberta, our new premier Daniel Smith is like, maybe we better get a provincial police force. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to spend the money, but I also don't want Justin Trudeau's RCMP around here enforcing his mm-hmm. gun laws. I'm listening, um, but then when I heard this, I'm like, "Yep, kick them all out. Right now, give the existing RCMP who live and work here right a first refusal for those jobs, but get rid of them all, and this is why. We've got a clip about um, undercover cops bringing guns to the blockade. Let's show that clip, please.
3: This is so good.
0: Olivia
4: of detail okay was it your understanding that that group their plot was to have two females smuggle in in a hockey bag a whole bunch of guns into the protest is that what your understanding was i I have actually no understanding of the undercover operations or the intelligence gathering operations of the rcmp the level of detail that i was briefed at was really of the existence of Threats within within the group that were potentially more violent, and that they had uh, the intelligence to indicate that they were armed and planning to do uh, violence in relation to the police. Should an enforcement action take place? Right, but are you, after the fact, aware that uh, the two? Females that they were intending to have smuggle in these firearms were actually two undercover RCMP officers. I, I, I oh. apologize. I just have no detail uh, in terms of the actual criminal file or the okay. uh, investigation itself. Uh, mm-hmm. Quite carefully uh, avoided uh, that level of interaction uh, with the police and kept it at a higher level. He very carefully
3: avoided. That level of interaction with police he says very carefully you know so as not well, to be incriminated we that, potentially
0: <laughs> we call that plausible deniability because the less you know the less you can be forced to testify to and it sounds as though it was entrapment and they were using women uh to do it which is uh the old honeypot trick um mm-hmm. you use women to entrap men which is gross mm-hmm. by the way gross policing um and having them smuggle in guns to sort of entrap the people in the convoy disgusting absolutely disgusting when i hear that i'm like yeah get them all out get every single one of Justin Trudeau's RCMP out the good cops and there's a ton of them out here especially in the rural communities because they have to live and work in the communities their kids play hockey with you they don't like this stuff you meet them down at the gun range they're normal people who believe in law and order and charter rights I don't think they want to be associated with this kind of stuff. I definitely don't. So, you know, when Daniel Smith says it's going to be a little expensive to kick these guys out, I don't care. Get them out. Get them out. I don't want any part of them.
7: Yeah, I agree. <laughs> okay,
3: William agrees. I, uh, it, it's unanimous for sure, but since this is the province that I'm going to be living in. Uh, sorry, I do live in. I feel like I'm so far away in like a wonderland over here in Ottawa. 100% get them out. When, again, every time he takes to the stand, there's just like this, everyone's holding their breath. They don't know what Miller's going to do, what he's going to say, what the outcome is going to be. I was honestly shocked. I was shocked tweeting this out. I was like, this is the best thing that's happened in the last five hours, a hundred percent. That's so big. But of course, you know, it's not shocking that he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what's going on ever. It's like, what position? Why are you in the position that you're in? Mm -hmm. Who put you there? Is this still more self appointed bureaucrats? You know, it's like, if you're not there in that, depth of level of of operation that's going down why are you even testifying but, what do you have to provide that somebody below you couldn't do themselves who is actually on the ground do you, it's ridiculous
2: did you, you two Albertans think that the coup's bucket would have been dealt differently with a provincial police force
0: 100%. 100% 100% although i will give i will give them credit for the obviously hinky things that some people in the rcmp and i'll give that rcmp brass as opposed to the local detachment. Um, Outside of that, like the stuff that we just heard, the reason I say give the existing RCMP members right of first refusal for those jobs in a provincial police force here in Alberta is because outside of that, the cops were really good. Really, really good. And you can see that on the last day of the blockade where it's shaking hands, it's hugging, it's decency because... They live and work in those communities. They know those people on the other side of the blockade from them are not criminals. They're good people. They're their neighbors. Their kids go to school together. And um, that, that's what I think. It's a little bit different in rural communities because you have a lot more closeness to the cops than you do in the city. You might not know the cops there, but it's different. And I think uh, it would have been handled much, much differently had it been a provincial police force.
3: Definitely, and we did also see from Marco van Hugenhousen his testimony as well that he clarified on multiple occasions how good of a uh, of, uh, rapport they had between them, the RCMP officers, the protesters that were there in um, in Coots and in Milk River. Again, yep. there was like. At the end of the day, the, the charges that they're facing are absolutely ridiculous and heinous, but what happened outside of that, because that just happened in a very short amount of time as well. Those arrests came on the night of the, the 13th, so early in the morning on the 14th when the Emergencies Act was invoked, though it had nothing to do with the invocation of the Emergencies Act because yep. the Kutz the blockade had already been, it was uh, dissolved at that time. They were packing up. They were leaving. They were doing their due diligence to make sure that they had all of that huge machinery, taken out um because it's a process people have to remember that the conditions were insane the snow the 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 cold the the black ice on the roads you're driving massive trailers tractors and semis out of those areas Mm. it's not gonna be lickety split on a dime but as they moved out within hours that's when those arrests took place and i think that's it's horrible and uh, i do want to see justice for them and accountability
0: and we know in alberta we don't we never needed the Emergencies Act because we have the Critical Infrastructure Defense Act, uh, Mm -hmm. under which um, Pastor Art Poloski was charged for giving a sermon. But we do have a law that's designed initially uh, to stop eco-terrorists from dismantling pipelines and attacking work sites with hatchets, as they do in northern British Columbia. But we have that law here, and it would apply to major highways as well. We didn't use that. We just didn't need it uh to deal with the truckers. Um apparently we needed it to deal with a pesky pastor though, which doesn't make any sense, but we definitely didn't need the emergencies act and the Alberta government has intervened in the commission to say as much. I think Olivia is telling me that we need to wrap up. You guys have stuff to do, I'm sure. Um thank you, Celine, for working. This is a statutory holiday here in Alberta. Um, But you're out there in, I guess, Ontario, where they don't actually care about veterans, Uh, (laughs) at least the government, (laughs) not the people. Uh, Don't write me letters. Uh, Guys, thanks so much for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for uh, doing the live stream every night. It's difficult to do an hour of live TV every single day and think on your feet. Thanks, Olivia and Efron, for putting the show together all the time. I I realize it is also difficult in your doing other things at the company too. Uh, Thanks so much to everybody who's tuning in. Thanks for staying with us as we are over halfway done. What we're calling the Trucker Commission. If you'd like to see all of our previous coverage and support the work that these two superstars are doing in Ottawa, please go to truckercommission.ca. I think that's uh, everything, guys. Let's sign off. You guys go do whatever you're going to do. Work, obviously. I know it. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And as David Menzies always says,
7: stay sane.